Hey, welcome back to Nevermind the Podcast. We're backstage at uh, one of Slayer's uh, performances right now. <laughs> so hey, we got two guests, uh, <laughs> hosts with us today. One of them's in the corner. He just had a heart attack. <laughs> we'll see if we can revive him. And uh, One of them's nose is bleeding. He just came out of the pit. So yeah, we're. Uh, it's going to be a little hard to hear us on this run, but we're doing rain and blood, so fuck it. Yep. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we Woo! we made it out. We're in the dressing room, so we made it out of that. <laughs> We're just bandaging up our guests right now. Yeah, the dressing room within the dressing room. The other one's full of cocaine and whores. <laughs> a little T- bit. Take of- me back to that one, please. <laughs> oh, he wants. He's stitched up now. He wants to go back. Um, so yeah, we have our guest with us today, Mark Gilflin. A uh, long t- lifetime, lifelong friend of mine and my brother's. Um, it's funny. I think we mentioned you and Scott. on almost every. Yeah, you and your brother. More you on almost every episode, probably. Oh, so it's funny. It's funny that you're here now. It's cool. Yeah. So right the on. Mark. Thanks that, for having me, guys. So the Mark you hear us talking about is this Mark. Um, we met. Only if they said good things about <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. All, only the good things. But yeah, we met in fucking second grade. Yeah. So what's 1978? About 1978-ish? Yeah. Um, we moved. Our family moved to Cerritos that year. And I went into uh, Burbank Elementary. Met Mark there. He had an older brother. About, was he two years older than you? Mm-hmm. A year older? Yep. Two years. Scott went there too then? Yeah. He yeah. Went to, he must have went to all the same schools, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And well, yeah, he actually went to Fair Ross, too, like you did. Did he? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. You went to Leffingwell, but he went to Fair yeah. Ross. Yeah, because yeah. well, he got kicked out of Haskell and then <laughs> <laughs> went to Fair of, Ross. of course he did. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we met Chris Slocum, actually. Oh, yeah? At Haskell? Oh, okay. <clears throat> no, Fair Ross. Oh, Fair Ross. Um, so, yeah, uh, we grew up together, and then uh, later on when my brother was playing drums, uh, Pat and Mark were in the same band together. First, that was like your what? Your second band? Mm-hmm. About? Pat's first real band, his second band, but his first real band. Um, but yeah, they went on tour at Shoegazer. I don't remember what those years were. It's like mid to late nineties. Yeah. Mid to late nineties. Okay. Started in what? 93 toured in probably. Yeah. We were out of, he just yeah, was graduated. Like 92, 93. Yeah. Cause I was still, I think I was a junior in high school when I started playing. That's right. Were you? It's crazy. Huh? That was okay. like 92. Yeah. yeah I cause was, <clears throat> I was telling, uh, I think it was Connor, I was telling him that when we first started playing shows with Pat, like a lot of times we played 21 over spots. He had to be penned and in. Pat would be sitting outside <laughs> with yeah. his drums and we'd be inside drinking beer and we'd have to let him in when it was time to play. Yeah, I remember for like the first four years. Yeah. I don't remember what venue it was, but it was somewhere down in San Diego that you guys played. And it was like he had to be in this little pen. Like it was a little. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I can't leave." It's like, like the jail at Skate Depot. Remember, there was like it's like the DJ booth, and then there was like this is where all the fucking retards go. <laughs> and I was like, "Why are you in there?" And like, then big X's on your hands. It's like yeah. really like like you're I'm not, the only one in here. You're not straight edge, but like, you guys can't keep tabs on fucking one child in here. <laughs> That's too good. But um, then Al's bar it was like, just do whatever you want because it's just <clears throat> there's like just junkies and you know. <laughs> yeah. Now nowadays though, we just drove by it the other night because we oh, went no, to it's that totally different. Um, little Tokyo. Oh yeah, it's right thing. there. Yeah. We drove by it. I showed Mary Lou. I could not believe 
how it is now. It's it's insane. Yeah. We were there's we, like kids walking around. It's like at night, kids walking around oh, yeah. like nothing. It's it's oh, like yeah. Disneyland now. And there's one place I like to go eat there. It's uh it's called Wurstkush. It's like a German sausage place and has this big like open like community seating like a cafeteria style Mm -hmm. and i'm like dude i've been in this building it's like where we used to have like warehouse parties and shit now it's like this high-end like restaurant like it's right across the street from al's bar you would would never walk around there no back then no i remember one time we're driving we're leaving leaving from playing a show and it was one certain street that's when we had that piece of shit van I don't know what street it was, but we turned and it was just like Night of the Living Dead, just like crackhead <laughs> zombies like walking oh, yeah. towards the van. We had to back up and like pull out. Scotty? And it was the same. Mm-hmm. Scotty the van? But like this, <laughs> yeah. like right around the corner. And it, now it's like, yeah, it's it's all posh and it's crazy. It is. And, you know, when we used to park there to play, either play shows at Al's or go to shows, I remember we would have to like pay people to watch the car. Oh, yeah, because it get broken into or. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's our little short history. There's a lot more to it, but since we're doing a limited show here. Um, so we're here to talk about, um, I mean, how do you feel about Slayer? Um, I mean. Is it one of your favorite bands? or No, I don't think it's one of my favorite bands. I definitely have a really deep appreciation for them. But thinking about it, like, like I didn't listen to Metallica before we did that album. But after, I was like, like I really like that record. Master with Puppets. Slayer, I like them for different reasons. Um, I had the first two records. I had Show No Mercy and the Haunting the Chapel EP, which I loved. I still have them. I have Hell Awaits too, which you gave me. Um, but I think, like, it's not it's not a go to for me. It's not like I'm gonna like you know it's Sunday and I'm gonna put on Slayer record. <laughs> yeah, but I might listen to Metallica. Gotcha, gotcha. What about Friday? Would that be any different? Friday? <laughs> yeah, not Sunday, but Friday. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Slayer is like my Monday listening to, uh, to get me ready for the week. Um, so we're talking about Rain and Blood and just a little bit of history on the recording of it. So this was released October 7th, 1986. So we're freshmen in high school, right? Yeah. We're freshmen in high school. Um, this came out on a hip hop label called Def Jam, which is Rick Rubin's Rick Rubin and uh, Russell Simmons's label. But it was weird because I was watching this thing about how how they even gotten, you know, how did they even come about that? And Glennie Friedman, who produced uh, Suicidal Tendencies, he's also like a famous photographer. He did like all those tour photos, like the skaters and Dogtown and all that stuff. But he 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 produced the first suicidal record. And somehow him, he knew somebody else who knew Dave Lombardo. And Dave Lombardo was like, yeah, we want Rick Rubin to produce a record. And the rest of the band was like, nah. Like, <laughs> <a dude> does, <laughs> how did he know yeah, of him? Uh, so, Glennie Friedman knew Rick Rubin. No, but I mean, why would Dave Lombardo want? He, he apparently heard that he was in California recording some records. And they were looking for a new producer because... The guy who they had on Hello Waits, I don't even know his name, but they wanted something like they they were just more polished at this point. Mm. So the he's the Dave Lombardo's the one who sought out Rick Rubin. He's the one who mm. like called Columbia Records and was like, yeah, we want to talk to Rick Rubin. We're this you know thrash metal band from California, and he's in. He, they were in town 
or they were about to be in town. I can't remember the name of the studio. Uh, I don't think I wrote it down. Um, but they were doing one of the Run DMC records and mm-hmm. the Beastie Boy first record. Yeah. In the same studio. So they had like a three, like a studios A, B, and C. And at one point, all three of those bands were in there recording these albums. So Lice, uh, all classics. Yeah. License to Ill. I think it's Raising Hell. Or DMC is just sitting there listening to yeah. Slayer playbacks. <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds good. And <laughs> yeah. And so the Beastie Boys, they would come over and like, pop in and listen to what Slayer was doing and Slayer was doing the same. Run DMC wasn't having it according to what these guys were doing. Not that they were like, fuck you guys, but they were just kind of more... They, they were waiting for Aerosmith. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Aerosmith. exactly. <laughs> but um, Kerry King is on the Beastie Boy record. He's on yeah. the No Sleep Till Brooklyn solo and he's in the video with the you know the, the nail wrist uh, yeah, that arm, arm band that he's wearing, whatever. Um, so it was like they had like a cool... They just had a really cool element with having Rick Rubin at the helm. Because I went back and listened to Hello Waits. I haven't listened to Hello Waits in years. And, man, it's a jump to this record. Like, it is. The, the quality and even just the way the songs were structured. Because Hello Waits, like, if you really break it down, it's really a punk record. It's like, mm-hmm. even the way he sings, like, he's stepping over his words. He's, mm-hmm. like, you, you know, it's very, almost like suicidal. In right. That, and like, the same kind of beat, too. It's, they weren't... It, and that's what I was noticing, like it, the the progression from Show No Mercy to Haunting Chapel, Hello Waits, like you, you can hear the progression. They're getting a little more sophisticated, but there's still elements of like Rain and Blood in the yeah. first three. But when Rain and Blood came out, I mean, it, it just like changed everything. The the I mean, there's so the facets of that, the the production first of all and foremost oh, yeah. right in your face the drums are just so and it sounds good on anything you listen to yeah. it on mm-hmm. right listen to it on a like a handheld radio all the way up to like a like a i don't know macintosh system yeah a, a Mac flies system out at or, you. or like a, like a club or something or a car with a booming system yeah rocks right i mean mm-hmm. it's just so amazing but the songwriting and the arrangement is is totally different too from the previous albums well I think too. I mean, like, like Show No Mercy, like that's a good. I like that record, but it's like, and it's it's kind of like. I wouldn't say it's not as to me. It's not as good as like, uh, uh, Kill 'Em All, but it's the same. Where it's like, if you listen to, if you listen to Show No Mercy back to back with with um, Rain and Blood, it's like it's so slow. Mm-hmm. It's like a metal record, and then it's like, it's almost like they jump from being a metal band to now they're a speed metal band, and really like. I don't know. I, I know they kind of get in. There's there's a lot of like gray area where it's like thrash, speed metal, heavy metal. Like to me, though, it seems like this is almost like pinpointing like a real benchmark for like speed metal. I agree. Like, I don't think anything was this fast, like anywhere before this. And thinking about the context, you know, nowadays there's all these bands that are just like even like Pantera, Pantera, uh, Vinnie Paul, the drummer, it's like really, really phenomenal drummer. And his like double bass drum is just, it's, it's amazing. They're super fast, they're super technical, but like with Slayer, not that they, they're not tight as, as humanly possible, but it still has this like reckless, like abandonment where it feels like to me, it, to me, listening to Slayer feels like, even if I'm not in a car, it makes me feel like I'm in a car that's about to slam into a wall or off a cliff or just like chaotic, you know? 
And I think like, like Pantera or any of the newer speed metal fast forward, like 20 years, maybe it's even faster, but it's just too calculated, you know, like it doesn't seem reckless. And I think that's where Slayer, it's like speed metal, but it's got that like thrash, you know, cause yeah. a lot of those thrash bands back then, Agreed. they were like, like attitude adjustment. It's like, it's nowhere near as, as slick, but it's just fucking going crazy like a blender that's just on full blast you mm -hmm. know um yeah and i think that's what rick rubin was able to do is because they actually played faster on this record than they did on the previous ones like the speed of, at which they're playing was oh, yeah. actually faster but what he was able to do is he created that depth so like if you listen you got to that bottom in you listen to a dark angel a possessed or exodus all their you know the stuff that was coming out at the same time it's real thin it's just like when we're talking about Metallica, like a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that was coming out, like Metallica was able to get that real depth in theirs too. But this one for this, because Metallica has a lot more, you know, they have like almost prog rocky songs, like yeah, nine minutes long. Orchestrated. This whole record, this whole album is 28 minutes and 58 seconds. Yeah, I was able to listen to <laughs> the whole thing on the way here too. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it ended right when I pulled out, which was kind of cool. And, and I am driving like 80 miles an hour. <laughs> I didn't used to think about running time albums back then. I just would grab it, open it, listen to it, and just like consume it as much. I didn't really think about like, wow, you know, like this. So when they sold these in stores, if you bought the cassette, it was the album on both sides. That's how mm. short it was. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, just put it on. Like, they couldn't split it up. So they're like, fuck it. Just put the whole album on each side. So you just flip it over and then it just right. repeats. It. You know, and that's when the, the tape deck started doing the, was it auto reverse or what yeah. they call it? Mm -hmm. Where it would just, just automatically flip. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the context, too. I mean, the songwriting is like, it's so interesting where you can listen to a two and a half minute song, but it's got so many changes and so, like, it keeps your interest where it's like, like some sometimes it just physically even is exhausting, you know. Like listening to like it starts off with Angel of Death and it's just like Jesus Christ, like what just happened? And that's the you longest know? song on the album. And then imagining like 1986, like like Merciful Fate probably predates this, and that's, I mean, I I, I like that too. It's it's kind of a different uh, different vibe. monster, yeah. But it's like. This is this almost just comes out like you know like just I just imagine people playing poker, you know, everyone's just playing a nice little poker game, and then this motherfucker walks in with like just a giant bag of cash and is like I'm gonna win and throws it on the you know and it's <laughs> yeah, like okay now that's a great analogy all of you guys step up to this and then yeah. it started happening you know because Slayer's like. Just this beast, like, you know, it's like, it's just insane. And it's definitely a game changer for sure, right? It set the bar so set, high. At this. And they're, they're like live, like, sorry. No, no. Their live shows, like, were legendary. And I think a lot of times things get lost in translation when you listen to, like, like metal and, you know, like hard, heavy albums where it's like, there's either a band where their album's better than their live show or their live show's way better than their album. This, it's like albums amazing, and then they're even they just kick it up when they play live. It's like that's really fucking hard to do. Yeah, that's like I some agree. talent, you know, on all ends. Yeah, and I, and I did see I've been I've seen them multiple times throughout the years, and I, I I was fortunate enough to go to the show for this tour for Rain and Blood at the Palladium in '86, and it, it was like you said it 
it exceeded expectations of the album. It was, you know, better than the album. It, loud, but sonically, you know, very precise. And it was just insane show all around the energy, you know, pit, yeah. you know, the craziest pits I've ever seen. And it, it was probably, that has to be one of my favorite shows. And, and then all, this is also one of my favorite albums too, I, I have to say. Mm. Yeah, this, this album, it doesn't even matter if I'm in the mood. I listen to all kinds of music. It doesn't even matter if I'm in the mood to listen to this kind of music. Like, you know, like sometimes you're just like, I'm not, I don't, my ears don't have, they're like fatigued before I even put something like this on. But if I hear one of these songs, like randomly hear it, then I'm just like, I want to hear it. Like it doesn't ever, you know, like, like if a Megadeth song comes on, I'm like, oh, they're playing Megadeth. But it doesn't make me want to go and like, oh shit, I want to hear that on the way home. Like I can be in like, Anyway, I could be in a record store and if something comes on, I'm like, I'm going to want to listen to this in the car. Like it's stuck with me all these years. Right. And I think it has a lot to do with how they created the, like how they actually captured the sound, um, which I'm giving a lot of credit to Rick Rubin. I don't know who in the band had, I don't know if it's, if it was Jeff Hanneman or Kerry King that had their like recording. I think they were learning how to record stuff from other people. I can't remember who it was. One of them reached out to somebody else about like how to record because there's you know dueling guitars like what are, what is what, what is Carrie King doing while Jeff Hanneman's doing I think one of the live shows I saw him at which was more recent um, while a song was ending the other guitar player would start the next song do you know what I mean like it was almost like they didn't want to stop yeah so because they have a lot of those like like if you listen to Criminally Insane there's like a, a like a long note that's ending it. So then he's coming in with another song live. And I was like, this shit's fucking dope. Like how they can just, they don't just stop abruptly, stop a song. And then, you know, one, two, three, like Ramones type thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an onslaught. Yeah. And the way that they were able to capture this, you know, this 30 minutes of music. Cause I'm, I did get South to heaven, but I haven't really got much else after that. I think I got Christ delusion. Um, I got the Christ Illusion, but I never really, nothing really stuck with me, anything that they've done since this record. Like Seasons of the Abyss, they're all good records, mm-hmm. but there's something about this one, and it probably has a lot to do with the fact that I was 15 and really into this kind of stuff. You know, like, yeah, this, and, and, it, and <clears throat> they, they were so seminal at the time, right? So that has something yeah. to do with it too, I'm sure. But and it, 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 it lasts the test of time. It, yeah, it's, it's, timeless. it's classic. Like, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that this wasn't in for whatever, whatever that means to anybody, but like things that are like in the library of Congress, like this has to be in there yeah, because it's just fucking undeniable, you know, like whether it's just a relic of like American culture that's will go down forever. But I, I remember when you brought South of heaven home and, um, Cause I mean, I'm younger and I, I liked what I liked kind of always. And then the metal stuff, I liked it because of the imagery and also because of like just the flat out speed of it, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of my favorite punk stuff at that time was like the MDC and like, you know, agnostic front, just the faster, the better, you know, just thrash. Um, but, um, I remember South of heaven. I was like really excited, you know, like what, what we would do. I don't know if you and Scott used to do this. Cause I know uh, Scott's how much older than you? Two years. Oh, okay. So you guys are even closer. Cause my brother and I were like four and a half years, but we were like, you know, friends, whatever. That's weird to say because you're brothers, but you know, you, you want to hang out with your brother. Mm-hmm. And when we would go record shopping, like we would listen to what we bought, you know? 
And I remember he brought home, like we went and he got south of heaven and we we're just like, fuck, this is like, it's, it's like, I don't know, like a, like a little kid going to see fucking Star Wars or something, you know, but listening to a record. So it's not about like, list, like there's no visuals other than just the album cover and just reading all the liner <laughs> yeah. notes. So you have to put way more attention, you know, it's not like nowadays, like, oh, well, and I have to fucking watch the, inst I have to watch this and there has to be just tons of information flooding my brain. It's like, there was just this element of surprise and wonder and all these things. But I remember we put it on and it was like, it almost seemed like it was playing at the wrong speed because of, you know, because it's just so much slower, you know, it's heavy as shit. But I can't remember, like, I like the title track. I think the title track's pretty solid, but it was, and it was, it was all, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Bad Brains when Quickness came out. It was just mm. like, what is this? Like, what did they do? Are they old? Are they tired? You know, like, <laughs> what happened? Like, because then you have all these little kids. And when you're little kids, like, you're not thinking like, you know, oh, these guys are my idols. They're fucking in their 30s. They've been doing it for 10 years before you even heard of them because that's how long it takes to get that good, you know, as a unit. And then you get pissed off when they can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, that's how I felt anyway. I think that's, I, I think that's something that's not going to happen anymore either. What? that feeling like you know like what what do we used to say when like we'd be like oh that band sold out like i don't mm. think that's even possible anymore like i don't know any new bands that would make music because i don't think that that same like the experience you're talking about like coming home opening the packaging looking at the photos looking at the artwork like the experience itself was completely different oh like, yeah it was a you know now you download a song to your phone you initiate you know like album will come out on a, whatever days they come out now friday tuesday and like oh the new whatever's out and it's just like instantaneously on your phone well yeah because you're already you're already going to, even if you go to the record store and buy a new record you already have it in your pocket right like that didn't happen you have to go home and then you got to fucking unwrap that shit you got to turn your you know components on not just a uh, bluetooth okay cool yeah because then you're just like you're not connected to it yeah right and it's you had a, a you had more of a you had more of an investment into these bands. Like we became, we were like super fans of these bands. Like we, you know, plaster posters on our walls and flyers and all that kind of shit. And you would, you would consume the whole thing. You would consume the artwork, the photos, the, you know, I even used to read the liner notes. I didn't even well, know. Of course, that's how you learn about other bands. Like thank yeah. yous. That's when you learn about the other bands. Yeah. Like, and that's really all you had back. That was your window into that world. Right. was the the liner the record liner the pictures hopefully they had pictures in the inside oh, yeah. it would fold open you know and there was like you guys mentioned a whole ritual around that right and, yeah and it affected all your senses there was i remember the sense of smell of what the the plastic smelled like uh -huh. the album was wrapped in and opened up you smell that paper of mm -hmm. the printed paper the, the liners you know what i mean it, and, and it was a whole thing like you riding a bike to the record store to pick it up in that anticipation that you felt Right, because you you didn't have instant gratification of your phone. Then riding the bike home the whole way, can't wait to put it on and open it. Yeah, and and drop the needle on it and and let yeah, it go. Yeah, it's you totally it. ritualist. It's like a like a drug addict. It's like cooking up smack. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, I gotta go get my yeah, bag. Right. Now I gotta go get my spoon. Now I gotta. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and you then you it. just the, the, it's like you're on a roller coaster, just like click click. You're just like all excited, and it's like 
Yeah, ah. And you didn't you didn't put the needle on the first song and stand by the record to lift it off because you didn't like what you heard the first 30 seconds and then skip. Yeah, you, you listen. You put the needle mm-hmm. in the in the opening groove and that shit stayed on till the end no matter what. Yeah, it's a the, linear experience. Right? The only yeah, time was. that you would take it off is if maybe the first song blew your mind. You're just like, wait a minute. I got to hear it again. <laughs> yeah. And then that's the other thing, like what you guys are saying, like I, I totally understand that because I was right there too. And the other thing that I wanted to add to that is also when you went to the store, when you did all this, never had an intention of like, I'm going to take this shit back. It was like, you're keeping this. Mm-hmm. Even if you, like, I still have records that I remember buying when I was a kid. And I have some that maybe I bought it and I was like, ah, but then revisit it and was like, oh my God, I kind of slept on that, but I have it. Right. And then there's some that were just like, I'm just never gonna get into it, but I have it because it's like, maybe it's either, like we talked about the artwork, we talked about the English dogs. Like I still have that record. I'll probably never listen that to the it. the Metamorphosis one? No, it's where legend killer. began. It's when they got, oh, it was like, like during, remember crossover, oh, like yeah, DRI. Yeah. Flying like, on okay. the dragons and shit. It looked all, yeah, it was all Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Was that after Metamorphosis? I think it's after. Okay. It had to be. That's but when it got real metal-y. It's like, yeah, yeah, like you didn't, it wasn't like Mad Punks. And no, no, no. You didn't go and you're just like, oh, I'm taking this shit back if I don't like it. And you I don't know? even think you could. If I'm trying to remember, like no. the return policies was like, you bought it, it's yours. Well, no Unless one sold it had like stuff a skip yet. on it. I remember being disappointed sometimes, get an album home and it skipped and mm. have to take that back. That was so rare, though, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think the, the CD culture is what started the taking stuff back. And then the used, then the, then the selling of used things. Like, then mm-hmm. stores were carrying used items. You could well, sell back your CDs. And you think about the CD culture, because they were so easy to manufacture and spit out. Then there was this influx of just, at the same time, the record industry gets all this capital, and then they start signing every band under the sun. And that's why you have some fucking, st- we worked at the warehouse, you got a stack of crash test dummies that came back. Who the fuck wanted that in the first place? You know what I mean? Leonard. It's like, <laughs> for real, not. he's gonna be on the, he's the one that had a heart attack. We're trying to revive him. Oh man. But yeah, so in, for this particular album to withstand, like what is this, 33 years, right? It's 33 years ago. So yeah, we, we left high school 30, 30 years ago. Thanks for reminding me. 33. Damn. So this this has been something for 33 years that I can still put on. I can still enjoy it. It's not... I don't really listen to any other bands in this vein anymore. Like, I'll listen to some stuff that's got a little bit of these elements. But, like, to sit down and to still have the same impact that this had on me when I was 15, all is due to, like, how they created it. How, you know, the songwriting. And the songwriting, when I was listening to it, this week, you know, I always like to listen to stuff before we talk about it so I can be reminded of stuff how I felt. But again, with the way we were talking about a lot of the Master of Puppets is this is very theatrical, too. It's very mm-hmm. like not operatic necessarily in the way that I think Master of Puppets has that quality. But this is more like you can visualize certain scenery with, with when you're watching this. Like, you know, if you read a, if you read like a Faust book or if you read like Dark dark stories of stuff you know mm-hmm. like jeff hanneman's writing and his lyrics are just really descriptive and you know like I, it, sometimes i'm just like man why did i want to listen to this like somebody this is basically 
the, these songs, Tom Mariah is singing about my demise when I walk into hell. Like, my limbs are going to be torn apart. My flesh is going to be melted off my face. And I'm like, yeah, man, fucking this is rad. You know what I mean? But if you really, like, listen to what he's describing, he's, like, this, he's like very descriptive in the way he's writing, like, what's going to happen to your soul when you die and you go to hell. Like, this is basically... You know, like Slayer concert. the doom, yeah, like <laughs> the doom and gloom of this. But then you have like this crazy instrumentation. You know, you've got the dueling guitars, you've got this crazy drummer playing at this breakneck speed, and like everything just sounds like perfect. It's like the perfect soundtrack to the to your death. You know what I mean? And then, and then like the story, the Auschwitz story, the Angel of Death story about the the you know the Holocaust encampments and what have you. And it's like everything about the way they're doing this like these guys aren't dummies you know what i mean like you would just be like, oh stoner long-haired dudes that have never read a book or whatever like these guys are he was not a dummy he had a really really smart way about writing a lot of these songs and like i was listening to i was like a lot of this stuff holds up hell awaits not so much hell awaits was more like just they just had a satanic theme like this had actual like literary themes to them you know like when they're talking about the the angel of death which is funny the angel of death the record company actually didn't want to put this out because of the angel of death so columbia records who owns def jam um they were like yeah we're not putting this song out you gotta take that song off <laughs> because it's talking about the holocaust you know mm-hmm. and they were like Can't record industry. There's way so Clive Davis is yeah. shaking. So Columbia Records was like, yeah, we are not going to we're not going to distribute this. And Def Jam's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you're our parent. You're our distributor, our parent company. So they actually got Geffen Records to distribute this. Geffen Records felt the same way about the lyric lyrical content of Angel of Death. I wonder why. So they. Yeah. David Geffen. Uh, so they they still distributed it but they didn't have any markings on it so there's no geffen records marking on it it's just (laughs) and i think this actually this album actually created the second phase of rick rubin's company when he split with russell simmons so then it became deaf american so instead of deaf jam it was deaf american then they dropped the deaf and it just became american record or american recordings or whatever and that's when they started doing like the johnny cash records and they did the they did a lot of different alternative stuff that wasn't just the hip hop, you know, kind of stuff. But, you know, like that's that's like a really it's like a crazy thing to think about because we were growing up in the PMRC days. If you remember, like the Tipper Gore. Yeah, that's Gore. when all that started. Oh, yeah. Remember the Tipper Gore campaigns and like Wasp did that. Did like they uh, what was the, what was Wasp singer's name? Blackie. Blackie Lawless. Blackie Lawless. And he had that photo of him with the, the black tape around his mouth with the PMRC. Like, cause everyone was opposed to this parental, the parental advisory. Right. They wanted to rate records like they did movies. Like, oh, your kids shouldn't listen to this. And we're like, fuck you. Like, we're going to listen to whatever the fuck we want to listen to. Um, but, you know, people were actually, like, these guys were not just like, oh, fuck you. And, you know, you know, hail Satan and stuff like that. It's like, he actually had, he actually had a really good craft of writing these songs. Like the lyrical content is actually descriptive story writing. Uh, rest in peace, Jeff. Well, that's Hammond. why it succeeded too. I mean, any any good art from any time period that was like uncompromised, that's the stuff that stands. 
all the stuff where it's like, oh, well, no, let's let's put this in this nice little box or this is a little too racy. That's the stuff that's like the flash in the pan. That's like maybe maybe it, at its best, it'll start a trend or whatever that really doesn't mean anything because people could see through that shit, you know? Right. Like, and then this, you know, good and well, this inspired like tons of people to play music and just to even think of music in a different context, even if you've already were listening to Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, it's like listening back, like the more, the older I get, like Judas Priest to me is like, they're just a hard rock band, you know, like Screaming for Vengeance is kind of the only metal because everything before and after that, it's just kind of, it's, it's just rock and roll, you know, maybe it's metal because they're wearing leather and spikes and stuff. But if you like really listening to the music, yeah, I think it may be like the <clears throat> the distortion on the guitars and that yeah. really thick textured sound kind of. And they, I'm sure, I mean, I don't think Slayer was not listening to all these bands. I mean, as you know, growing right. up. And then, I mean, well, I don't know if they're all from Southgate, but I mean, I know the band was from Southgate. I and think then, they all were from Southgate. Thinking, they all went to the same high school. Actually, our cousins went to the same high school. They thinking did. about Southgate, like... If anybody's familiar with that area and it hasn't changed that much, maybe there's a new target and like a casino around there, but it's like, it's kind of a weird part of the city where it makes sense where music like this would come out. You know, it's like you're down the street from like the, the fucking meat packing plants and like, you know, commerce and Vernon and bell. And it's just really like, I don't know. There's something about it where it's, it's not that it's dirty, but it just, it's, it's like, industrial residential where it's just it's just blue collar it's all it's like it's like black sabbath coming from birmingham you know like (laughs) and judas priest where it's just like these steel mining towns where it's just hard-working men and fucking the kids grow up out of that and just like well like you like you have to be tough you know Um, And, and and you know definitely a you know rebellion against the hair metal hair bands of the day oh you know, it's, yeah uh, you know probably more obviously more punk influenced and you know like the kind of stuff we were listening to back then you know it was fast punk rock so it's a natural gravitation to something like this that's you know heavier in nature but still has the fast punk rock yeah and not contrived it wasn't like uh you know because i'm sure there and there's some bands that were just like you could tell like how bands are today which is like they pick it's almost like like someone making a a fusion meal, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to take this and this, and now it's going to be my thing. Like Slayer's not that they're just kind of like with Metallica, you know, it's just like, they're listening to punk rock playing metal and then boom, they make their own thing. But it's not like they make their own thing out of nothing. You see the progression of Mm -hmm. their EP, their first two records. And then it's like, Oh, they're better writers. I'm looking at this right now. And it's like, Carrie King and Jeff Hanneman kind of split the record. Like, Writing, writing. Yeah. They wrote together. There's some where one wrote lyrics, the other one wrote the music, and then there's some where they wrote everything. Um, well, they're the ones who met first, according to oh, really? their stories. Yeah. So, I think it was Kerry King. He was going to audition for a band, or he was going to meet some guys. I wonder what other bands they were in. I they had to have all been in other bands. They were, and I can't remember the names of especially them. Dave Lombardo. I mean, but uh, you don't get. You don't play drums like that if you haven't been playing since you can walk. Yeah. But Carrie King had walked into this, rec- I don't know if it was a rec- rehearsal studio or some space, and Jeff Hanneman was working at the front desk. But he had his guitar, and he was playing like Iron Maiden or something. Like he was just 
sitting there like letting people in or signing people in and Carrie King came in to go audition for this other band and it just was like not his not his cup of tea and on the way out he was like hey man I heard you playing like some Iron Maiden what are you into and they they just talk and they're like hey let's let's play together like it's I, funny how I know a drummer chance meetings like I know a drummer and they knew one of them knew Dave Lombardo and he had a setup in his garage and so he's like so they went over to, to Dave Lombardo's house the, the three of them started jamming together and I don't know which one of them knew Tom Araya, but he was already in a band. Tom Araya was in like a cover band at the time. Mm. And it was all, you know, they were doing the same thing like Metallica was doing. They were covering like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, like all the pre, you know, the early 80s like metal stuff or mm-hmm. late 70s, early 80s metal stuff. And that's how they, they came about. And I think they had another guy. I think they had a third person in their band or i mean a fifth person at one point and then they were like no just the four of them yeah that was the key and then didn't this sound like just four dudes like yeah four people making all this fucking ruckus and um they i think they start after they started making songs and started playing they they could they really only had places to play like the what is this 83 82 i don't know but a lot of the la stuff a lot of the punk stuff didn't want bands like this playing so right. You know, like I can't even remember. Because back names, then it was like if you had long hair, it was you were ousted. Right, you yeah. weren't. It wasn't like it. You know, later on where it became okay to merge the two. Was, yeah, because the long hair was like the tail end of like the Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. You know, like that dazed and confused type shit, where it was like, no, punk's the new thing in L.A. And I'm actually, I'm actually reading the John Doe book right now about that that whole like late '70s, early '80s scene. It's actually pretty good. But like the mask and the vex and hong kong cafe and all these places and it was they had a short run until like the orange county scene came up and kind of like killed it with like the violence and the fighting and like the mosh pits because the early punk stuff was just pogoing and you know and like kind of just like the misfits of everybody who didn't really fit in and so slayer didn't really have a place to play Uh, you know they had to drive up to san francisco and I guess it was more of like the thrash, fast, mm-hmm. you know, like metal scene going up there. And I guess it was Tom Araya's little brother, who was only 13. He would go on tour with him as a roadie. And they had a Camaro and a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> they would just tour in that. They toured in that Camaro and the U-Haul for I don't know how many years, like a couple of years, I think. The four of them, or the five of them, because Tom Araya's little brother. And he was like, yeah, man, he wouldn't go to school or anything. He would just go, he would just leave. He was like <laughs> in middle school. His middle school age going on tour with his band, you know, and because I think they were all out of high school at this point. I don't because how old, I don't know how old our cousins are. I think they went to high school at the same time. Probably Hector. Got to be like mid fifties. Jaime and them. They all went to the same high school. Mid fifties. Yeah. Remi- our cousins remember them. Mm. Yeah, and it was like Slayer went to this high school. Ice T's DJ went to this high school. The twins. They one of them was Ice T's DJ. I forgot what the other one was. And then Cypress Hill later on went to the same high school. Huh. All that, all in that Southgate spot. There's yeah, this like crazy. This um, there's this guy that I found like on YouTube that interviews like mostly metal acts, punk acts too, and then he just just like does one on ones where he asks them like, like he'll look up facts on Wikipedia and then fact check them. And I saw the one with Dave Lombardo and the one with Tom Araya, and um, they just seem like really down to earth like cool people like even though they're they're like they're metal gods you know 
but they just seem like like just really humble and cool because you know you hear about like certain things like we talked about like that's one thing where i give them more respect than metallica even though like musically i would listen to metallica more but like with that whole like napster and like we're just it's just like oh now you guys are too good for this you know Mm -hmm. and mind you yeah metallica's much bigger than slayer but i don't think in this kind of music i think they're equal as far as like influence and like what what they matter to the scene or whatever um but it's just nice when you see like people just being fucking like kind of unchanged you know genuine or real yeah you know and like i think the three out of the big four makes sense the slayer metallica megadeth in that order Mm -hmm. (laughs) of hierarchy in my opinion the one that doesn't make sense to me is Anthrax. Yeah, I never that got that either. That does not fit. They're just punk rock. Like they're punk rock and they're silly, and their albums don't they don't hold up. They don't stand the test of time for me. Well, that's the order it always goes to when they play. Yeah, it was always it's it's Slayer. Yeah, but they their their met their albums because I I had their albums their early albums and they were they were pretty metal. Like the no, they're metal the second and third. I know Fistful yeah. of Metals like way more metal than than Among the than Living. These guys, yeah. I mean, like. I don't know. It just it had that heavy metal vibe versus, mm. you know, more the earlier. I don't know. It seemed like more than like you know Slayer, right? It's a it's a different kind like, of like, yeah like traditional heavy metal, right? Not the thrash exactly that, that these and other speed three metal. bands. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like Anthrax is metal, but I don't feel like they really fit in. But still speed metal too. I mean, but not. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it was always like, what was it, guitarist dude, Iscadian? Mm-hmm. He was in the SOD, yeah, as well, right? Now SOD, now, now that's a whole different <laughs> ball of wax, right? I liked SOD better than I liked Anthrax. Oh, I did too, way yeah. better, yeah. right? Because the Anthrax is more, more punk, more traditional metal, yeah, yeah. And then M- was it MOD after yeah. SOD? Mm-hmm. Same, but just the same singer. Was it still Scottian? I think Scott. Well, I don't I think Scottian was in that. They might have shared more than just the singer. S- do you remember um you remember my old roommate Kevin? Uh-huh. He he grew up in the same town as the singer from Anthrax. Oh really? Yeah. And he's like that Didn't they have a first singer before the like singer who sings on everything? Oh, I don't know. Is Fistful of Metal the same singer that's on like uh I don't know. Among the Living? I don't even know. I his, thought that was a different I don't know his name. He's like some it's Italian. It's like some Italian, yeah. Italian yeah. Belladonna. Yeah, Joey Belladonna. Yeah, Joey. Is that his name? Yeah. He had like a mullet haircut. I remember (laughs) on those older albums. He looks. You know, he looks like he looks like one of the. He looks like Cedric or Omar. He looks like Omar. No, Cedric. To me, he does. (laughs) (laughs) He has that look. Like he's. I. I think too though. Like, um, like with Slayer, like, because even though whatever, it's like they got the pentagram and. They kind of graduated from that to where they're. I mean, this this is a fucking evil album cover, and they definitely have that imagery. But it wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't like a like Celtic Frost or you know what I mean. Like, there's all those bands and even like King Diamond. It was just so heavy on like the evil and everything. But these guys, it's like because it was just more than just that. Even though it had the, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know if I'm explaining it right. It's like. They had the imagery, but they didn't rely on it. Yeah, it's almost yeah. I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, and I agree. It's like they yeah they didn't have to try that hard with it because I think the the skill and you know the 
the level of musicianship and songwriting was so much. They stuck greater. out. They stood right. out like fucking... their ability to play and to convey the message in just their musicianship spoke for itself. Yeah. yeah. Like you, these guys could have looked like the Ramones and came out and played this music. Yeah. And it would have fucking kicked your ass. And regardless, yeah. some of those technical, like, because then I think I've been thinking a lot lately too, about like a band, like, like Voivod's first record, like Killing Technology, yeah, is so that's on another level too. But it's like, it's almost niche because it's it's just I don't know. Like when I heard that too, it was like, man, this sounds like it's coming from Mars, but it just didn't have like what a Slayer had, you know, like like they got the whole package and they weren't really going for it. They just had it kind of. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Um, I still have that record. I still like that record. That record's that great. First, that first Voivod record. It's amazing. It's so good. The the thing that's funny too, there was um, so like when I drive out here and just I don't I usually I'm not on the freeway that often. But when I go to my mom's or when I you know going anywhere that way when I'm taking the ten, I drive right by the Olympic Theater. It's like a church now. It's like a big Chinese church or something. But it still looks like the Olympic and it's legendary. I've never been there. Um, as you know, that's a show, but I just have always, I remember being a kid and it was like the exploited would play there and the UK fear subs. Yeah. Fear, like all these just legendary things. And for me, I definitely like punk rock more than metal. Um, so whenever I would think of the Olympic, I've been thinking of like the Dickies or agent orange or, you know, those big shows. And then one day I was on YouTube just rabbit holing, looking for like old 80s, you know, and I was watching like it was like Reagan youth and and then it was Slayer at the Olympic. And I'm like, I'll watch it, you know, check it out. And fucking I mean, this is just, you know, camcorder in the back. It's not like it sounds that great, but seeing what came off of that stage and like how loud and how like I mean, this is primitive shows thinking about. Now you go to a show and like everyone's got inner ear fucking monitors and it's, you know, smaller speakers. Like this is like a f- like fucking Woodstock in this little building. <laughs> a stack of Marshalls. <laughs> and I watched the show and I was just like, holy shit, the fucking power, you know, mm-hmm. that just insane. And just, yeah, like, like you're talking about the segue from one song to the other. Playing guitar is tough when you're playing guitar that fast it's like that's physical too but drums but that is not fucking playing goddamn 30 minutes of drums non-stop dave lombardo style just and never missing a beat he's a god he never misses anything you know it's funny and it didn't even sound real like it sounded like a fucking like they like someone mic'd a fucking freight train you know (laughs) and was like all right you guys ready like let's go but it's funny you bring that up sorry uh, we'll get back to that because I sent Chris a video of this guy who reviews, um, you know, first time I forget his name. Oh yeah, the yeah. first listens like he's he's like a black dude that's like first time he's ever heard metal. Oh, okay. of something. Yeah, yeah, hilarious dude, right? <laughs> and he does his virgin listening of Slayer and it's Rain and Blood, uh-huh. right? And, and he, I've been cracking up the entire time, but he gets to this part where he goes. Man, what the hell is that? It sounds like a train. <laughs> and, and I was dying because when we were kids, I mean, my brother used to listen to Slayer and like, you know, SOD and stuff. And my grandfather, we showed him one time and he was like, you know, old dude from Scotland. And he was like, what the hell is this shit? It sounds like a goddamn train crossing. <laughs> you know, with like the ride symbol hitting on 16th yeah. notes and the double bass. 
It's like it does sound like a train. Dude, his house must. I mean, there's that's where all the train tracks in L.A. go through too. <laughs> like seriously. Yeah, maybe you that know? was the influence. Yeah, and like if like a, a lot of the songs on this record, the beat there's like a 220 beats per minute. I, or is it is that impossible? It's 120. It's, I think it's unreal. 220. It's fastest. He's the fastest. Drummer. It might be 120. I might be way out. 120 you know. is not that fast. Yeah, okay, like then a, it is 220. Yeah, 120 is like house music. Like. No, it's a, it's like a 220 yeah. beat. And a lot of them have, they go into that thing and he just rolls into the thing. But then like Criminally Insane, which sounds like a movie. Yeah, like, that ride that he's hitting. So he's fast. just, like, he's oh, just hitting the bass and he's just doing that ride. And then it goes into that like kind of more of a sludgy guitar sound when, the, when it first starts to come in before they get into their like mm-hmm. technical playing, you know? And I'm like... That song still kills me. Like every time I listen to that song, I have a, a 12 inch remix of it. It has like Man. the aggressive perfector on the back yeah, side. I have like, that oh one my too. God, that such a good That release. song is the fucking fastest song they've ever done. Aggressive perfector? Aggressive, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And there's a. And that's old too. There's an early. That's yeah. Really old. Yeah, it's old. There's a, I think that might have been one of their, I think first, it's their songs. first I think they did a demo to get mm-hmm. on a speed metal label. Like that was their first thing ever. And, it's and I think slow it was that song. Compared to the, on yeah. that 12 inch. I remember when you got that 12 inch and like Criminal Insane, yeah, that song's amazing. Where you had it because yeah. it's already on the well, album. The 12 inch does the remix. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what was cool too. It's like, what metal band well, have fucking remixed that's, 12 inches? That's because of hip hop. That's, yeah. the, yeah, that's the Rick Rubin yeah. influence. They ha- There's the only speed, death, thrash metal band I know of that has a remix to one of their songs. And you know, they were probably just like, fucking just doing a rail. Like, yeah, okay, it sounds good. Like, whatever. What do you want us to do? I'll just play as fast as you fucking can. You know, that's that's interesting because if you think about it, like the way that Rain and Blood is so much different than the previous albums, and it actually has like breakdowns that are kind of oh, yeah. like funky in a way. Yeah, right? criminally insane. It's got grooves to it. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe that is from that... He, know, that Rick he got stuff. them to do. He just pulled stuff out of them that I don't think they would have ever even imagined doing. I bet you like the perfect pair to, to get them. Uh, to it had to have been because the, yeah. the, their albums they're just so different. I bet you too, sound. though, Dave Lombardo, especially if he was. There's probably more to him seeking out Rick Rubin. I mean, it's possible he could have been. He could have been a hip hop fan. Maybe. You know? How did that start? Let's talk more about that. So were they Metal Blade up until they were Def Jam was. Uh, was Hell I mean, um, was Hello Waits Metal Blade still, or they were? Th- yeah, it was either Metal Blade or Megaforce. I can't remember, but it was the same label for the first. First, they were actually in contract. Okay, they were still in contract. So the rest of the band was kind of like, "Hey, wait, we're still in contract with with this label," which I think it might have been Metal Blade. I I don't know exactly. Um, it sounds right, and. But he was like, but dude, yeah, look that shit up. this I'm is going to be, yeah, this is going to be like, this is just a much bigger and better venture. And they, it just didn't metal blade. You just like, how could you sell your rest of your bandmates to go with a hip hop producer when you're a metal band yeah. or a thrasher? Like I didn't even like the fact that they did it though. I'm forever thankful for it because what if they didn't, what if this just was just another Hella weight sounding album with the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think you would have had the impact, the, especially that sound. I keep going back to the production of that, that sound. That's I just, so good. I, the I mean, album we're talking about. Yeah. Every time I think of, and maybe it's my limited scope, but every time I think of like, you know, best quality production albums, I always go back. I mean, 
I always go back to Rain and Blood. And, you know, and there's stuff like, you know, newer bands like Slipknot and stuff that have amazing productions too with that Subliminal Versus album or whatever. But the production on Rain and Blood in 1986 was just amazing. The, That's the, what's so crazy. The it's difference, like yeah. The difference yeah. that I hear in a band like Slipknot and this record is that Slipknot sounds, it's like the tech, the technical side of it is there. And it sounds like they each went in, they did their parts, and they just worried so much. They, they concentrated more on the mix itself, whereas the Rain and Blood, they had the sonic, you know, the sonic soundscape of the album because of Rick Rubin's hand at the, at the boards. But it sounds like they still were a band that came in and played together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like they were able to accomplish the the feel and and soundscape of this of this record but it still sounded like a band that was in the same room together versus where slipknot has more i mean i i like that record which the is it the first one i think I, I, or the one that has like duality or whatever yeah right? duality yeah i, I mean like the first two or three are i think are really good but it still has a very like like i don't want to say it's forced it just has a very technical like it sounds like they got a group of musicians to come in and do the best that they could on this particular <laughs> piece of music versus like an organic band. Right. And that, Rain and Blood's more cohesive and it right. just feels like, like you said, organic. Natural. Yeah. You know, it sounds like these guys have been playing with each other. Like these guys were feeding off of each other as they played and they came up with these sounds versus like, oh, well, we're going to go out and find the most technical guitar player, the most technical drummer. And I mean, it, it, it serves its purpose for what it is because Slayer already made this record. So who's, you know, no one can really right. replicate this. So they did a good job in that, but it just, I think the actual way that they record, like, I don't know how the, what the recording process was here. I'm figuring it's the eighties. So they still went in and did like a full compliment. Like they all played at the same time versus like, Oh, it's your turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know. They, the, the I'm facts. sure they overdubbed, those fucking solos and stuff of course but you could tell they're playing like yeah i mean i mean you know how hard it is to record and get something to sound that good Mm -hmm. the the fact that they have everything that just sounds so isolated and crisp and clean it Mm -hmm. just you got it well the first thing for that is you got to be that good yeah and to think about the context of what they've had they put out two full lengths, a live record, and an EP up until that point. Right. So they were probably just... Which one was the live? Show no mercy. Live Undead. It's a picture Oh, disc. that's right. Live Undead, um, right. So they were, they were already making a name for themselves and probably touring like insane, you know, mm-hmm. just playing, getting better, better, and writing songs, um, which we talk about that too a lot in some of the other ones. Where like, you know how nowadays, like, there'll be a band, maybe a band that you like, and, like, you think about... Like, how many years do they have in between records? Back then, it was just like every year, fucking phenomenal records coming out. Like, how do you do that yeah, while you're touring, touring all right. year long? You know, <laughs> I mean, maybe the cocaine was better back then, which it probably was. But I don't. It's just, it's just the. It's. There's it's, no way Slayer ever did coke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something about that. That. It's just magic. It's like when like the, it was the four right people at the, the album, right time. Didn't the album come mm-hmm. with a straw and a blade? 
Metal blade. <laughs> What's the metal blade? It's a razor. There was, a, there was a, a detachable blade on the back of the album. Um, Use at your own risk. But uh, I, I, I think. I mean, I, I could be, I could just be like fantasizing, but I think a little bit of the older ways, like why these guys were able to put out an album because they didn't. Th- they didn't see themselves as a brand the way people do now, where well, somebody yeah. somebody puts out an album now and then they have to put a clothesline well, out with it, and they have to put out a fucking, you know, sponsored shoe, and they, it's like every band is a fucking NBA star now, where they have a fucking tennis shoe <laughs> that goes with the fucking clothesline that they have, and they have a fucking, you know, it's like, are you making music? Or are you making a fucking company that's producing fucking goods? You know, like these bands were like, we're a band, we make music, and that's the only livelihood we have is our live show and our and our records that we sell. That's you and know? that's why those times too back then were so special because I I was just thinking about this, like thinking about um eighty six, I'm sure I think maybe Tim by the replacements came out around then. Maybe let it be. There was like REM, you know, like college, you know, like Husker Du starting to like make college radio stirs. But you listen to those albums and that is when it when 80s stuff gets really dated with that style of music. This doesn't sound dated to me at all. Mm. Like it sounds like it just came and just dropped from. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like the thing that was really cool about that, too, when the metal was like really starting to get big is. They didn't give a fuck if you liked it. Mm-hmm. And you heavy metal people were not fucking cool people. I mean, for us, they were, it was cool because it was like we liked it. But, yeah. you know, you talk about outcasts. That was to me, that seemed more of an outcast than like skinheads and skinheads are bad. Like, even if even if you're not like a racist skinhead, just the outfit, it was just like you are you want to look you want to be a problem. <laughs> but then when you I would you would see people walking with, you know, like jean jackets with like a slayer patch and like say you're at a record store or whatever, it's like it was like, man, you know too. Yeah. This, and, this, and there like was a no cult, hot, like a little Yeah, context. There was no hot topic. Exactly. There was no internet. You had to go buy you had that to shit, know where to find put that it shit. on yeah. yourself or have your mom do it or and, whatever. And it, you're right. It was definitely very outcast, very non mainstream. So far, non-mainstream. Yeah, and just pure. And, like, I remember seeing, like, those golden voice, like, you know, like, you get the whatever, hip, not Hip Raider, um, like, BAM magazine. No, it was, like, BAM. It was probably even something before BAM, but when you'd see the ads for shows coming through, and oh, it'd be, okay. like, you know, XL or B.O.W., oh, yeah. like, Slayer, like, and it was just, like, you see all these other, like, you know, there's the punk rock shows, and there's the fucking... I don't even know who was big at the time, like really big, like maybe playing at the forum or whatever, because I didn't care. But like you'd see like like Rad and Motley Crue. Exactly. Stuff like that. But then you'd see like the metal ads and it was just like that is its own thing. And it's like there's going to be a fucking ton of people there because it's connecting to youth and it means something. And they don't give a fuck if you like it or not. Mm-hmm. It's almost better if you don't like it. Yeah, no radio play. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, granted, there was KNAC, and I think they had like a speed metal touch that. Sunday night thing. Yeah, or something. really late. Yeah, like, but the, but you didn't have radio play with this kind of music, and it got as big as it did. I mean, y- you can even extend that to like you know Iron Maiden and bands like that. Oh yeah, they didn't have radio play. Of course not. But and yet it's like they're how selling they, out Long Beach Arena and how they putting out gold records. And, yeah, you know, it was just this like in the know, like you know, all these outcast kids. You know, like I remember. Like again, like when I was, when I was like a little kid going to to Burbank, it's like you'd see fucking. I remember seeing like Hessians. I was like, man, these like, I want to hang out with them. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what they're listening. <laughs> I want to be cool. Well, we also had like you had an older brother. Yeah, that was actually older than us, and that helped because he had in like him and Chris Slocum. They they knew people. I think who knew like Dark Angel or. And so they they were kind of in on the tape trading thing mm. back then, which yeah. was the only way to get music back then, oh, unless yeah. it was you know published on you know get albums. And that and was big back then was tape. It was trading. huge, yeah. Like like I well, we talked about it in a couple other episodes. Like the first time I had ever heard Van Halen was at your house, and your brother had Van Halen one record, mm-hmm. and then you taped it, and I taped your tape. So I had <laughs> mm-hmm. a second gener you know a dubbed copy of a of a copy. Right. And so, like, we had, you know, like, our older cousins put us on to different kinds of music. Not really the metal stuff, but, like, I would have never heard Led Zeppelin if it wasn't for my older cousins. But I also mm-hmm. wouldn't have heard Parliament, Funkadelic, and that kind of music from my other side of Earth my family. Those cousins that listened to, like, Zap and, you know, all the funk and, and all the stuff that hip-hop ended up sampling. You know, and then our dad with the jazz. But a lot of times, too, and these guys were always annoyed with me but the dudes the brothers that worked at best records oh i would ask them a million questions because they had long hair was it clear um that it was larry who owned it right larry was i don't remember their names but it was two blonde long haired i think those i think those dudes were named tankers last name was tankersley oh really because they lived in my neighborhood okay and then the the dude larry i think it was larry that owned best records were they in a band he actually i think so he actually lived in the apartments across the street from my dad's store. Oh, really? And so when we got older, we knew him from that. But uh, you know, when we were little kids coming in our bikes, he, you know, yeah, he was just like, yeah, scram. They, yeah, they <laughs> used to be annoyed as fuck all the time. Oh the yeah, what? but you know who was cool was Becky Butler's brother, Aaron. I forget his name, Biff or something. I forget. Biff oh, Butler. Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, he worked there and he was cool to us. That's as right. Little kids, he yeah. would kind of help us out with, you know pointing stuff out you know it's crazy too if you think about it like i mean i have my stories too about about best and then when it turned into remember when it moved into the bigger place Mm -hmm. then it turned into tempo but like why was it that this is this is what i'm thinking about like even you guys i mean i was really little because i'm four and a half years younger than you guys and i was lucky enough to get into all of it maybe not to different degrees but at the same time because of chris but like thinking about like why was it that because it wasn't like now like you know you see a little kid that's fucking five years old wearing a fucking whatever t-shirt a band shirt that obviously their parents just want to put on them right you know fine whatever it is um but like i don't remember any other little kids like little kids like listening to that kind of stuff like why were those people getting mad you must have been the only little kids in that place buying fucking music. I think, yeah, I think so. And that that was like lucky having 
older brother who was into it and oh know, yeah and then we had an older next door neighbor um who was who got us into like hard rock it was jill's brother what was his name jeff who was jeff who? mueller but who was the other guy that, who was the guy that used to sing dio that was like, oh that's, that's web that's the guy web. behind us web he was a crackhead <laughs> I swear, he thought he was a singer, and he would yeah. just be singing. Didn't he inherit his parents' house, and then, <laughs> uh-huh. like, he kept the maid and then just, like, married her or something yeah, weird? Yeah, he did. Are exactly. you serious? Yeah. What? He, was a, he ended up being, he was a cool dude later on. When we were little kids, he, he was a troublemaker big time. Yeah. He, we'd have, was like, birthday parties in the us? backyard, and he'd have, be out there with a BB gun, and he'd shoot the balloons and shit. <laughs> 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 My parents didn't like him back then, but then when we got older, he was cool. Oh, yeah. That's he used to sell his weed and shit. Nice. Thank you, Webb. <laughs> but like, but the other neighbors too, uh, Randy and Ari, they used to go to a school in Long Beach, and so they knew people who were all into punk rock, and so this was like eighty two or eighty one or I don't know something like that. Yeah. They introduced us to Super early first punk rock, right? So that's how we got on that tip for coming from the hard rock stuff into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, like the only like when I first moved to town. I was in second grade. I'm like seven, eight years old. The only mu- I was already listening to music, but the only music that I was listening to in even close to that vein was like the doors. And that was because of my dad, my, my dad loved the doors. And I'm like seven, eight years old listening to fucking the doors. Like those lyrics aren't for little kids, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and whatever the radio played, like, you know, the pop shit, like the, right. a, you know, I wasn't even really a Beatles listener. I knew, like, it was more like Paul McCartney and the Wings. That was the stuff that was being played on the yeah. radio at that time. Yeah, like I had Wings. Yeah, like Band on the Run. And, yeah, exactly. And like, those, that was all radio play. It was all mm-hmm. Top 40. No, you know, all pre MTV, too. Elton oh, yeah. John and Queen. And then when I get to Burbank, I think it was the older kids. I think they must have been like the fourth or fifth grade. I remember Brian Clarkson was a huge one for me because he. He and I had a class where he was a grade ahead of me, but we were in a split class. Mm. We were in like a fourth, fifth grade class with Mr. Hanks. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember he was always like putting me on. Like he's the first time I ever heard of Iron Maiden. It was because of him. <laughs> and then one of our other friends, I don't even remember all these guys' names, but one of them was like, like you know, had a tape of Judas Priest stained, cla- stained glass. Stained, stained class. Stained class. That's my favorite, by the way. And I was like, what is this shit? You know what I mean? And then, and then it just started to, like, form as we were, you know. Don't like, you think that's weird, though? Because then thinking about it, like, you guys are in second grade. By the time you're in sixth grade, you're already, like, kind of veterans of what, it, yeah. like, in the know. And, like, I can't remember any time period where a fucking, like, nine-year-old is hip to, like, <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah, a nine-year-old right now might know all the the top stuff, but, like, this is talking about underground. And no internet. No internet. No, like, you yeah. have to fucking... And that's why it just, to me, it just... Everything meant so much more, you know? It was the, it like, was the culture of sharing because you thought this kid was cool enough to deserve to know. Like, you wouldn't just share this with anybody. Like, oh... Like, this means something to me, and unless you kind of prove yourself to be, like, what we would consider cool, then, yeah, like, you know, like, have you heard of this band? Have you heard of that band? Because I remember, I remember there was a thing, like, we used to to use use the word poser all the time back Mm -hmm. then. And, like, if That was a big deal back then. It it really was. It was a big deal. Like, if you didn't, like, if you wore a shirt to school with a band, first of all, how'd you get it? You didn't go to the show. 
and we, there was no store to buy this in. So then you'd start grilling this person like if they really knew this band, mm-hmm. like if they didn't deserve to fucking wear this, like, yeah. you know, like it's totally, it was like you had to earn, like it was badge of honor. Yeah. Type yeah. The, co- the concert Jersey shirts, right. The, that was the baseball the big, tees. Yeah, yeah. In the eighties. And you had to get him at a concert. I used to hit my yeah. next door neighbor when he was older. He would get me like a Judas Priest shirt from the concert. Yeah. That was the only place to get them. Yeah. Or yeah. a Van Halen shirt. Right. But I remember like, like buttons were like huge. Buttons were big, and Best I Records had a buttons. nice button collection. Oh my god, dude! I would. I remember when they had like. I remember Iron Maiden had a lot of them, where it was like, it was a little bit more expensive button because it was like shiny, like metal, and it had like there was that one. I don't know if it's uh, one of their singers. I think it's Purgatory. It's like where it's like the devil. It's like half devil, half Eddie, uh, crazy Eddie or whatever. Um, but I just, I mean, I remember being obsessed because I like little, you know, accoutrement. Yeah, and it was like, fuck, and then you you just have that button, you know? But that's the other thing, too, is even, like, with the fashion, like, I don't, I don't know, like, much about, like, your parents, like, what they were into or what they did. I know what our parents were into. My Our parents weren't hip, but Mine yet you guys like had to bug. dirty. And you see little kids like going to Burbank, like you're wearing jean jackets and fucking having feathered hair. It's like, you know, your parents are just like, oh, yeah, we'll do this. Like they didn't know. And it wasn't like you're doing anything bad. But like, I don't see kids doing any of that effort. Like, how do you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and then wearing all, vans and like from Fast well, Times, you know, you like everyone's all Fast Times. Like, got to get those fucking shoes, you know? <laughs> yeah. The, the custom van. And at vans, you go to, I remember going to the van store in Norwalk when we were kids. They were happy to see you and take care of you there. But yeah, going into a music store, I remember I used to go to the music store. I wouldn't look at anybody. I would get my picks and I wouldn't even talk to the guy and just buy them because I just felt I saw what you went through. Right. Getting like being this little kid and just being like, oh, just fucking what are you even in here for? (laughs) And then I remember being being at this club years later uh, in in uh, in Hollywood and this was like when they moved, when Best Records moved into the bigger location. And there was like a glam rock guy. And he was always nice, but I was just always kind of a dick because I'm like, you don't even want, you know, this is when I'm buying like Dag Nasty albums and, you know, mm-hmm. Fugazi, shit like that. Um, and I would never talk to him. He's always nice. I see this guy years later at the club and he recognized me. And he's like, you're that kid that used to come into the record store. And I, as soon as he said that, I'm like, because he looks exactly the same, just classic like like he didn't he didn't know Gazzari's closed kind of you know style <laughs> he didn't know Gazzari's closed and he fucking was like man I always thought you were the biggest jerk like and he's like you were a little kid and then he's telling his friend he's like yeah this little kid he used to come in here and he would like buy all these like cool records but then he would never and I would try to talk to him and he would you know because I was just like you must everyone must think i'm a fraud or like like why am i buying these records you know it was it was like a secret like i didn't want anyone to see me anybody you know? who was even a year older like it's like i was talking about brian clarkson he was only a year older than us seemed way older than us oh yeah and when we were freshmen and the seniors were on campus it was like i would i couldn't even make eye contact with those people. i know these I was, motherfuckers had full beards and yeah shit, <laughs> like i was fucking smoking cigarettes i was exactly terrified but when I went to Whitney um, for seventh and eighth grade, the, I met a lot of seniors there. And I, one of the one of the guys, his name was, his name was Joey. 
he was the only guy that was like the heavy metal guy on campus. Oh yeah. Like he clearly he had the long curly hair. He wore the denim jacket with the with the iron on like band thing that fit in the in the you know remember yeah, when we used to square, have those yeah. in the square, and and he was the only one. And I befriended him. He was like five grades ahead of me because it was the seventh through. Like well, driving to school. Yeah, like full mustache. With a Marlboro hanging out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> he was like a full mustache, like fucking, you know, classic 70s car. And I'm like on the bus, me and Michael Rack on the bus, like, and Dennis. <laughs> fucking, and I'm like, that's the only guy I want to talk to. Everyone else was like, it was the, it was like the pre-goth days. So like most of the people there were either into like what the hip hop was going to come out. Like a lot of the break dancers and stuff mm-hmm. was happening then. And then it was like the goth guys, like the cure and all that, which I like all that stuff too. But that was the only guy on campus. that was like clearly the metal dude. And like all like him and I would listen to music. You know, I would skip class. I'd go and hang out with him because we were right by CPE. So we just walk out and just be in the park and, you know, like smoke cigarettes. And he would put me on to all these bands too. And I was just like, I don't want to go to school. I always want to go, you know, go find somebody whose parents aren't home for the day and go have ditch parties and listen to records, you know? Like, I didn't do well in school from from that point. <laughs> from then on, I didn't do really well in school. But coming back in, like, looking at the, that time period from 7th to 9th, before I got went to GAR, it was like meeting people that were into The Cure and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Depeche Mode and then, like, the... A little bit of the metal and some of the guys were already into prog rock and stuff like that and then going back to gar and then just having this like array of different music to listen to and then you know meeting up with you guys you know going getting back to go to school with you and dennis and the rest of the people we grew up with and then meeting the new guy you know like we met mitch and jason stroud and like those guys scott chimes i didn't meet him that was mark's friend and you know (laughs) back then too two years probably Two years probably felt like forever. Oh yeah, it was it like a, it, it was because he went to a different school too. Yeah, and this and yeah, and the scene. Yeah, you know, two years in the scene, whatever scene was a huge time frame. Yeah, because by the time you and I had re met back up, you were already playing music. Like you weren't playing music when we left sixth grade and yeah. didn't didn't catch up with each other till not. I mean, we didn't really like not see each other, but it wasn't as much. That's what I remember was crazy. Like, like you and Dennis, not so much Dennis, because I don't think I like, I knew he had a guitar, but I don't think that I ever knew of him playing it. But like when you, when I just knew you through my brother, um, I was like, man, he's got a guitar. Like, this is like, he's like the fucking most, he's like the coolest person in the whole city. Because not a lot of people did, really. No. And then when you had when you had that garage band when you first started, I remember there was maybe one time I heard a demo tape out of it, and I would just listen to that obsessively because it was like I had I had already had my record collection was growing, but I didn't know any of these people. It didn't even seem like like where do they live? Like they they must live like mansions nowhere. (laughs) Like there's no way like you know music could come from here. Like. Like even like Channel Three, I don't know if you knew of any of those dudes, but because they're yeah. from Cerritos. But well, Sanji's, because um, Sanji lived right around the corner, and his older sister knew them. Oh really? Yeah, they actually played at his house. He had a party. Oh shit! When his parents really? Left town. Yeah, Channel Three played, and there was a riot. It was crazy. Like the whole neighborhood wow. was like just overrun <laughs> with crazy punk rockers, and that was like 
Not like punk rockers today, right? That was when it was bad. Yeah, when yeah. it was bad. That, that was, was like the, the the Orange County punk that was like a mixed bag of like the oi, the skinhead, well, and I was like just the regular. Thinking about like, I remember like hearing about like shows at Fenders and it was just like, man, that place just must be a fucking war zone. Like, you yeah, know. It was crazy. I, I, I got to go to a few of those. With uh, my brother and Dave Brown and those guys. What was the other Chris? There was another Chris. Doyle and Chris Not Doyle. Not Slocum. Too. Doyle. Yeah. I remember just riding around. His, was it a white Nova? Yeah. And the just Land Shark. Being high as fuck and listening to fucking shit. <laughs> like, yeah. I just. Like, Slate, Rain and Blood, dude, in his car. In his car, yeah. Because he put some six by in the back then. It was like, you know, six by nine speakers were. Pretty dope before you get into like, you know, subs, woofers and 12, shit, subs. Yeah. And so he put in some six by nines in the back and that double bass on Rain and Blood. <laughs> and he would just, we would just be high as fuck driving around cranking that. Yeah. And, and just doing stupid shit. Like Sanji, like <laughs> we, he had this extendable metal pole that would extend out, right? And we called it the boner because it would extend. <laughs> And we literally would do stupid shit. I probably shouldn't say this on the recording. <laughs> but like Sanji would hang out the window and like hit some <laughs> Or we would go to like apartment buildings and break in and into the fire, um, like the fire extinguisher areas and steal the fire extinguishers and drive by people Shoot, and steal yeah. them with the fire thing. Like I remember chalk. spraying people with, with fire Yeah, I think fire you were with us a few yeah. times. I remember spraying people with fire extinguishers. And Slayer, <laughs> Rain and Blood is blasting in the car while yeah. we're doing it. Yeah, and can you imagine, like, I couldn't even imagine, like, like, 15, 16-year-old kids, like, doing anything, like, I would hope even not. Even close to that, you know? Sometimes <laughs> I think, idiotic. sometimes I do get, like, a little excited when I see, like, rebellion, like, in front of me, where it's just like, yes, thank you, you know? Yeah. Please, not, don't just accept that, you know? It's like, it's like thinking, like, I keep looking at that that uh mug the misfits you know it's iconic whatever yeah thinking about this too going back to like how metal was like kind of a cult and like a badge of honor you know it wasn't like like the misfits like i really loved the misfits when i was a kid but there's something about like it was even back early back then because their logo was bigger than the band like it just took over and then well the band was already over by then well, but but I'm just saying, like yeah. it was, you know, their their legacy. You know, yeah. some bands, their legacies were like, you know, still huge. Yeah. You know? But um, it was almost kind of fraudulent way back when the Misfits weren't even that cool. It was just like, oh yeah, you're you're wearing a Misfits button. Like that doesn't mean anything. That means nothing. You know. But if you're wearing a fucking Slayer pentagram, then it's like you know something. You know. Yeah. Totally different. Um, I remember. Yeah, it's cool. Like, back then, like, so, like, you're talking about the Misfits logo and how it was bigger than the band. Like, the the thing back then was all about the imagery, and it was much stronger than, I don't, I don't see that kind of thing today as much, where the, the, Mm -hmm. like, Dead Kennedys symbol, Black Flag symbol, you know, all these bands, it was all about the symbol you had, and it was very, it was very strong in symbolism, and, they did stand out like big. Well, there's time, real like art behind it too. Yeah, That's why. Real, I mean, come on, look at black flag symbol. I mean, yeah. that thing's powerful. There's that a, was like that other was, bands copy it. There's a little uh, bands. Other like mm-hmm. Greg Ginn's brand. brother made that. Yeah, Raymond Pettibone. Right. 
Yeah, that was his brother who came up with that. There's like a the cool most little, iconic symbol in the world. There's <laughs> a cool little vignette on YouTube about, and it's an interview with him explaining it. Um, it's pretty awesome. Like, because well, he was in the first incarnation of the band too, but then he realized like I'm not that good. Oh, well, I didn't know he played music. I thought mm-hmm. he was just an artist. I actually have one of his one of his records. He just he does like weird kind of like mm. I don't know. I I would think. Kind of, I don't want to remind me of like Firehose or something, but um, he he basically says in this thing where he's just like, yeah, I was playing with my brother, and it was kind of just like, I'm better at this, so why don't I just do all your artwork? And then they were like, oh I think yeah, I've seen that, it was cool, and it was it was awesome. I and in a lot of like what the what we're talking about the logos and the symbolism, like you kind of knew, you almost had like a gauge of what a person was capable of, depending on what emblems they were wearing mm-hmm. so if there was a guy wearing a priest or an iron maiden or like you would not really be afraid of that guy you'd be like oh he's a stoner he probably stinks or he probably you know is gonna bum a cigarette he's gonna have you. some weed on him. Or he's, he's gonna thinking. have weed on him or he's gonna like want you to buy him some food or something like that and you saw somebody with like a misfits thing or like a dfa or whatever you're like oh he must skate or he must you know but if people that had like slayer imagery on them and like DRI, like that DRI, like slam pick, like those people were like almost like you almost immediately were like afraid, not afraid Fear. of them, but it was almost like you were not sure what this motherfucker <laughs> was going to jump DRI. out. Of, yeah, like going to jump out of a window <laughs> or, you know, like it was like there was a weird, like it was a weird like system that we would like codify people with. Like, oh, that guy's crazy because... <laughs> He's not just like Slayer. He's like wearing that out in public to like, you know what I mean? Like that's the team you represent. Not team, but that's mm-hmm. like, like we had our little subsects of music. You know what I mean? Like, and I always felt like the people who wore the, like the, the Slayer kind of like, remember that band, the Wicked mm-hmm. at school? Yeah. Those guys, like I was afraid of those guys. They, one of them was my friend. I was still terrified of them. Like I'd go to their... <laughs> I go to it had ch- it had power behind it. it yeah, was like, weird. like I, yeah. I would go to the re- rehearsals in Chivas, and I would be like, I'm I don't want to be here. I'm like terrified, and huh. I'm brown, and I fit in in that neighborhood, but I was still terrified of being there. That's what you made know? it exciting too. At the same time, where because you're like, like you're attracted to it so much, but you're afraid of it. You know, like it was dangerous. Yeah, that's that's the key thing. Is it was just it was a danger, an element of danger. Um, yeah, and then you you end up talking to these people that you just have this fear, and they're just like they're just, just normal people. people yeah. You know? you, well, even you, like even like Chris Chris not Slocum the other Chris Doyle. Doyle, even like just seeing his car pull up, like he'd go pick up Ron Mahoney. Well, because he he looked intimidating too. I mean, he was skinhead and, he, and skinhead yeah. older guy, and he had this weird car. And like you knew what was gonna happen when you get in that car. So like I'm like and you start doing drugs. Man, like am I gonna? <laughs> Am I gonna get in this car today? Like you know what I mean? Like you just never knew where you were gonna end up. Like even Pete Lassert, my next door neighbor, was kind of like that too. He'd be like, "Fuck, man! Every time I get in the car with this fool, it's gonna be some adventure." And like one time, it was Pete, Scott, Shepard, and I. And I was like, "Man, we're gonna die today, <laughs> or we're gonna go to jail today." You know? And it was just like, it just had this like, this. Like a lot of the stuff that I remember was really intimidating and Slayer was the badge of that intimidation. Like that was the ultimate like mm-hmm. badge of intimidation for me. Like nothing else scared me as much as like the Slayer iconic like 
the name, the logo, the right, like the pentagram. And I, and I wasn't afraid of the lyrics. I wasn't afraid of, like I was a fan of the music, but I just knew that there was this other element that went with it. Like you see their slam pits and like everyone's coming out with their noses busted. And, you know, like it just made people act crazy. Kind of like it pushed them to go crazier than they normally would have gone. You know, it was yeah, just Yeah, and none of those dudes were like, these are tough motherfuckers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when I, because I used to walk home from Burbank, and I, because we live right by Gar, and not every time, but there was certain times where I'd walk and I'd be coming home while a lot of the kids are walking away, you know? So we're like crossing paths. And this is when I was, I don't know, maybe like eight, nine years old. And yeah, like seeing, it's nothing like now. I'm sure now everyone looks like whatever scene it is, I have no idea, but they probably all look like they're in it. Back then, it was just like you'd see someone that was like, "Oh, they listen to the Smiths." Not a problem. He's you know? <laughs> <laughs> probably looking for his fucking cat right now. Or something. Not, a, <laughs> not a threat. Not a threat. You see at someone all. with like you know maybe like an alien sex fiend shirt. Kind of uh, just keep an eye on that one. You know, like remember or, that who was or, that friend you guys had that was? Uh, oh, it was Glenn. Remember Glenn? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the goth like kind of mm. death rocker kid yeah was he, always kind of like his dad his, keep eye on this dude <laughs> his dad used to own uh those parking lot sweeping truck oh yeah companies. i remember and later on like as i was older in high school he used to like call me or he, he wouldn't call me he would come to the house like midnight 1 a.m and talk to me through the window and be like because he knew i wasn't asleep and he'd be like hey you want to go with me to sweep parking lots and i'm like I ain't doing anything. Yeah, we'd go in his fucking dad's. It's like a it's like a truck with a tank on the back that just blew shit around the parking lots. <laughs> and he would get paid to do that, so he'd give me money. You know, we'd just be smoking cigarettes, listening to fucking, you know, weird shit in the car, and just like high as fuck, just 2 o'clock in the morning fucking driving around park. It's like lots. a dream. It's and amazing then, what kind of shit's cool when you're 15. Yeah. And then, <laughs> nowadays you'd be like, fuck you. Come out of here. And then like 7 a.m. Hey, your dad's a loser. <laughs> and then 7 a.m. fucking Mitch is at the fucking front, front of my house. And my dad's like, why are you getting rides to school? You look like school's at the end of the street. And I'm like, oh, we're going to go get breakfast first. Oh, yeah. But Mitch would pull up in the mock the Mustang, the blue Mustang that he had, you know? And he's like, why? My dad's like, why do you need rides? <laughs> Seven <laughs> houses down <laughs> to school. Like, Mitch hasn't like, been asleep for two weeks. I'm like, because I have oh, yeah, let's go Because I'm not going to school. <laughs> We're going to go get some food. Yeah, he hasn't eaten in three days. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was like, yeah, so Glenn, I should have played it off by having fucking Chip show up at least to. I, he. Chip, I invited Chip over one time. The motherfucker bought I know. three boxes of fish sticks, made them all, and ate them all. He didn't even share. <laughs> but I forgot Glenn's last name. But you know what? He Bernard. Yeah, Bernard. Bernard. Okay. So he ended up. Well, I don't know how long ago this was. The last time I checked in with him, like probably like five years after high school. But he was a funeral motorcycle cop, not cop, but a motorcycle funeral. Procession. Procession. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Damn. He's probably like, hey, I'm going there anyway. Let's check it out. I thought you were going to say he was like a brain surgeon or something. Well, him, he, him He's still and, driving. Him and, <laughs> him and Adam Liston were like, they were very similar in their, like, Adam Liston was the first one I had ever heard um, 
Oh God, why can't I like Romeo's Delight? Why can't I think of that band? Christian Romeo's Death. Distress. Christian Death. Death. Like they were both into that kind of shit. Like Adam Listen was the first time I was like, what? Bauhaus. You know, like that kind of music, like that dark, gothy mm-hmm. kind of stuff. They were both into that stuff. They didn't. They weren't even friends with each other. I was friends with each of them separately, but it was just funny that like everybody had like even if you kind of like knew what this kind of person listened to they, everyone had like something to offer in the sense of like oh have you ever heard this band or you know like it just was like this this like learning experience all around in all different directions like for me hip-hop also was included in all that stuff like the hip-hop was mm-hmm. big you know in the 80s we'd bump oh, big time we'd bump stuff in your system your car that had the system and stuff i like mean that. yeah i mean in between listening to Slayer, yeah, it'd like be like Slayer and then EPMD, Public Enemy, yeah, yeah, EPMD, yeah, and it was like that's the way you know we had that, and we had all the best stuff that was coming out. You know, we had the best, the best times of like when these albums were coming out, and like I don't remember knowing when this stuff was going to come out. I remember we'd go to Marcus's house, and like he'd have like turntables set up, and we'd go to the to the outside Sam Goody and we'd like buy 12 inches and then go like drink 40s and listen to records at his place because mom didn't give a fuck what we did there and everyone who was hanging out there was like all hip hop like that's all those guys listened to I can't remember everybody's names but was it Jess Marcus Doofus Mark Doofus Mark Mm -hmm. Douglas and and Jess Jess Gonzalez yeah I can't remember all the people that hung out there but it was like I was like he was the only dude I knew who could like literally sit in his room and smoke cigarettes and his mom didn't care. Dude, yeah. I remember going, in high school. Yeah, I remember going into his room. I don't even know why I was there, and it was just fucking old English eight hundred empty yeah. forty bottles, right. like a wall of it. And I was just like, this "Yeah, is the best room." His mom, his mom would let us drink forties and smoke cigarettes in there. And you know we just listen to records and like I just we would just buy records on that's crazy can you on imagine like, and you're like boy? god damn it why can't my parents get divorced yeah. <laughs> can you imagine your your sons in high school yeah. and you're just like hey well, man yeah. can I get a forty from you like <laughs> what the fuck is that because we buy because we all had fake IDs so we could yeah buy and he didn't he even anywhere. live in Cerritos. Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, it wasn't like he lived in like Norwalk or Hawaiian Gardens he was, where he, he was like right what right the hell? Del Taco right like, across yeah. from Feros. He lived in that yeah, track really right nice there. Yeah, really nice neighborhood. Yeah, Willowbrook, nice I think yeah. it is, or something. But your parents were kind of cool, too. Your parents let us hang out. Yeah, we hung I out could, at your I house. I could hang out and drink. I couldn't yeah. smoke, but... We hung out at the house. I hung out at your house <laughs> way <laughs> bummed out. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can't drink. smoke. But we hung, I hung out at your house more than I ever hung out at my own house. Like, I was always at your house. We was like, you know, your your circle, your... Your street that ended in a circle, like all the cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You'd always your house be was there. always cool. Ditch yeah. party. I Ditch remember parties. even when when you guys were in, um, like when you're really little, because you guys played soccer together, a couple teams Cub in a- AYSO. When you're in Cub Scouts and you used to have, I think like the meetings at your house. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. then, just something about your like it was because it was you and your brother, but it was just like man, that's fucking that's where all the cool shit happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, we, your dad was like the Cub Scout leader, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we we would go to your house for a Cub Scout. We didn't do that for very long, though. Two I wasn't years. a Cub Scout. For- <laughs> yeah, we, it was a couple years, and yeah. then and it was like, okay, then we're, you got a guitar. We're done with this. We blows. It was yeah. like we blows, and then I was like, okay. Yeah, and then when you Stop. got that guitar, 
uh, I don't know how long you have the blue guitar. I ended up buying the blue guitar off you, mm-hmm. and then you hooked me up with Randy, the guitar teacher. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. at Norwalk Randy Music. Chambers. Randy Chambers, and I would either go to lessons at his house or go to the Norwalk Music office and do lessons there. And he was just like, he was like a wannabe like Randy Rhodes, you right. know. Like he was really cool though, because I used to go too. He was great. He was really cool. He was really he was actually a really good teacher because he had patience. And but he had he I don't know how he knew he knew somebody that had affiliation to Metallica. He he, so he had Metallica a, tapes when of their demos and rehearsals. No, he lived next door in Norwalk to their original bass player. That's what that story uh, was. But I remember him having those tapes and he play them, and I get to hear like Metallica fucking like home recordings and shit like that. It was fucking awesome. So, I went with you yeah. once to a lesson. At his house? At his house. Yeah. And I remember he had like a poster. I think he got fired from the Norwalk Music and didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was like, oh, just come to the house. (laughs) He had a poster in his room. It was uh, Laney Guitars and it was Ace Fraley, no makeup. And I remember just being like excited, like, yeah, it's fucking Ace Fraley. But then he drew like a mustache on it. And I remember asking him, and I was really little. I was probably like nine or 10. Yeah. I was like, why'd you draw a mustache? He goes, oh, I just think Ace Frehley is like silly. So I put a little mustache on it. But then I'm like, but why'd you put it on your wall? Like, <laughs> what is this? And then remember he had a band. Chambers. Mm-hmm. Chambers. Chambers, right? Yeah, they play. I went and saw them at Checkers. Checks? Checks. Oh, Checks? Shit. Yeah. Checks. Checks. In Santa Fe Springs. Yeah. He's, I saw you guys play there. That was the first band, yeah. yeah. Remember the Waters Club, too, in San Pedro? That's right. Yeah. Uh, we went to see 9.0 there. No, what was that other band you guys used to see? Stone, some Grindstone. Grindstone. Or? Grindstone. Yeah. Dude, I was looking up. I was trying to find their music like a year ago. You like, probably don't want to find nothing. that. No. <laughs> but there was like, I liked that band. They had a sound that I was like really into. Remember the Marquee too in Marquee. Westminster. Yep. That's funny. My my coworker Tom, he's going to Slayer with us in November. He was asking about the Waters Club just the other day because we we're talking about old venues. Yeah. Because he used to live out here in California. Now yeah, the water. I went Houston. when when I was taking lessons from that dude at Angel City Music. His his band was it Shurcon? Yeah, Shurcon. Shurcon. They would play there, and then he switched into that nine point. Or I think Shurcon became nine point I think that's I remember seeing them at the Troubadour, and then they turned. And then he ended up getting a job with uh, Rat Singer. That what they, they called Arcade. Arcade, yeah, Rats. Uh, Stephen Piercy ended up starting that. He had Wait, a side was that project. the bass player guy? Yeah, or? yeah, Michael Andrews, and ended up he's actually a soundtrack uh, producer now. He actually like he I think he did the Donnie Darko soundtrack, and he's huh. done like, he's written songs like he did the cover of Mad World that Tears for Fear song. He did the Donnie Darko one. It's like credited to him, huh. and he's like I think he's like composed like other soundtracks and stuff like that. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but he was like in. I remember that was the big thing is he got into that Stephen Fiercey band after Rat because I think the guy from Rat died or something. The the blonde guitarist, hmm. Robin something. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Slayer, Slayer November. He had what? He had AIDS. Yeah, he had, he had AIDS. AIDS. Yeah, mm-hmm. Robin. I don't know what his last name. Um, but like more than one, like AIDS. So he got tickets for the Slayer show in November at forum it's ministry primus and slayer primus yeah <laughs> that's weird it's such a 
Ministry is a, that's a weird lineup, but I think it's cool. I want to, I can't wait. At the forum, that's gonna be weird. Yeah, that's the last place I saw Slayer. It was at the I went with Shane, mm. um, two, three years ago. No, three years ago, and it was Suicidal Tendencies and Slayer. And you know, what's um, funny is uh, Tom Mariah's in the institutionalized video. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a section where Mike Muir's walk in. It looks like a soundstage or some mm. kind of warehouse. He's like walking through as he's like talking the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And there's a part where Tom Mariah walks in and just pushes him. Like not mm-hmm. really hard, but he's just like, and you could totally see it's him. Like cut off black t-shirt when he was like skinny Tom Mariah. That was probably crazy backyard parties back then. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, I wish I'd seen Slayer like in these days, like the 80s days. I didn't see him in those days. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Because you saw him. Where did you see him? The Palladium. Who'd they play with? Was uh, that the Megadeth show? No, no. This was Dark Angel. Oh, um, yeah. I forget all the bands. It was Rain and Blood Tour. So this is 86. 86 so that was the yeah. same year we saw Guns N' Roses. That was 86. That was 87. That was 87? It was 87. Oh, okay. But still, that's like not that far off Like that that music transitioned. Yeah. Because that was the cult. The cult, yeah. And... Guns N' Roses before Guns N' Roses was even a thing. Yeah. Like, that was, like, <laughs> brand crazy. new debut, like, of them. That's, like, going back when I was talking about, like, the Olympic. Um, and then ever since I saw that video, like, now, every time I see the Olympic, I just think, like, that's, like, Slayer played there. My brother was at that show, or it, it was either that show or one of the other times they played there. Cause yeah, he, I'm sure they played it multiple times, yeah. Yeah, him and Chris and, like, Sanji, I think, and... Ron Mahoney, they all went to see Slayer there. I, I wish I would have gone. They just ruled oh, at that the, place. At the, Olympic. at the Olympic, yeah. Oh, yeah. They just fucking ruled that place. Like, I bet you they, they probably were one of the best performances like that's ever been in that place. You yeah, know? just insane. They still, I mean, they like. I just saw. I was just telling Mark earlier. They were on the Jimmy Fallon show. All right. Yeah, like. Dave Lombardo didn't play with them anymore. No. Right? Oh, well, I was actually, when we, a long time ago, I, was, I forgot to say this. After they recorded this record, Dave Lombardo left the band. Or so, he got all Christian, didn't he? Well, I don't know. I don't think it was him that did. It was his wife. He had just had a kid. Mm. And he wanted to spend time with the wife and kid. Wait, after this record? Right after they recorded it. I thought it. he was on South of Heaven. I thought so, too. He, he came back, but on the tour, he didn't play with them. Uh. He didn't go on tour for this record. But then he didn't he come he came, he back, came for back for Decade of Aggression or Yeah, I think he's come back mm-hmm. a couple of times. But he just wanted family time and they were like, nah, Boring. we gotta go on this tour. And he was like, Well, I can't go. And they just they were like, dude, we're gonna go on tour for this record we just did. How do you replace Tom Lombardo? And he and I forgot who went and drummed with them, but it was it was uh it might have been the dark. It was Mel Torme. <laughs> <laughs> It might have been the, uh, the Dark Melvin Angel drug. Was Dark Angel a local? <laughs> He's was, all right. <laughs> How does it go? <laughs> 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 He's got like a, a two-piece kit. That was a short tour. It was on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I was thinking. Like, did anybody ever do... Like, I know Tori Amos covered Raining Blood. She did a piano rendition of it. Which is crazy to hear because it doesn't sound anything like the song. Like even the band was like, "How is this our song?" You know, and 
Kerry King was talking about it and he was like, yeah, we just sent her some Slayer shirts. Like, thanks for covering, <laughs> covering our music. But it's like... Didn't they... She had to get approval and everything, right? I don't know how it publishing. works with covers. I don't know how covers work with the... I think publishing, maybe, to put it on an album. Yeah. She actually put it on an album, though. There's huh. a Raining Blood. like. But I was like thinking, like, did anybody ever do... Like, did Elvez... You know, like, Elvez, like, there were those, like, lounge versions of songs. Like, did anyone ever do that with this band? I don't think so, huh? I don't know. Just her... It probably exists somewhere out there. Just her, like... Because there's, like, Slayer tributes. There's, like, a Slayer tribute record where people are covering their songs, like, the way they're mm. supposed to be played. I don't know. <clears throat> but I think... I don't know where Dark Angel is from, but I want to say it was his... That drummer that went on tour with them. Makes sense. I think, I think Dark Angel was, like... I mean, they played with all those same bands. Mm-hmm. They just they never, local? like, made it they to never, the next. Yeah, exactly. Were they local to here? Were they L.A.? I think I they think were they local. Are. I think they were, like, either L.A. or Orange County. San I think they are Orange L.A. County. Oh, okay. Because a lot of the San Francisco bands changed members, you know, like Exodus, who's now in Slayer, mm-hmm. that guitar player. And then, like, Kirk Hammett came from there, right. went to uh, Metallica. And then I think it was... Oh yeah, Kerry King played with Megadeth, the first, the first um, touring band for Megadeth. Kerry King was—I think he was with him for like five months. Huh. Yeah, he was. Yeah, they're from Downey. Who's from Downey? Dark Angel. Oh wow. Okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. I don't know why I felt like they were from South America. Who's that big? Sepultura. Sepultura. Yeah, that's right. I was like, there's a huge band that came from like South America. Um, but anyway, so we always do this thing where we rate the records that we're talking about. So what would you rate this? Oh, is it one to 10? Yeah. 11. <laughs> okay. Spinal tap. We, we, no, we did. We invoked the spinal tap. I have rule. to invoke it for this. Yeah. Personally for me, this is 11. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right there. It's like, it's six, six, six for me. Like it's. It's got everything that I needed at the time, but done and, and crafted in such a way that the recording itself, to me, still is a, is a bar, is a standard. Like, if your album can't have, the, if you can't, if you're not even playing this kind of music and your album doesn't have this kind of clarity and authentic musicianship, like, you know, why are you even making a record? You know what I mean? It's like, these guys these guys are in a really specific genre, a subgenre of metal that created this like insane 30 minutes of music. And with Rick Rubin's, you know, hand at the, at the desk, just really, really captured what these guys are like, all the energy these guys are bringing, all their musicianship, the well-crafted songs and like the fucking pace that these guys are playing. Like, I don't think there's much that, there's, I don't think there's any weak point in this record. I don't think there's I any. Think there's not. I can't imagine like, oh, I wish there was more of this or I wish there was less of this. I think it was like everything was just perfect. Like you didn't need another guitar solo there. You didn't need the verse to go back. You didn't need to do like, you know, you didn't need to revisit the 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 bridge or whatever. I don't even know song structures, but um, it was just perfect. It was like every song served its purpose on in this 30 minutes. And, you know, not saying anything for anything they've done in you know beyond what after this record but just this record itself is just like will always be their top their top achievement as far as i'm concerned like and in the whole 
genre of metal. Like I really haven't heard anything that's ever, I've heard a lot of people who can play well, but I've never heard anybody who's ever put the intensity and just the songs. Like I want to hear this all the way through when I, when I start listening to it, you know? So yeah. 11. Yeah. I think that's like what you're saying too. It's like, that's what makes them. There's just such, there's such a power behind the album, the band at that time where they kind of cross, I don't want to say crossover, but they cross into like popular culture in such a way where even if someone's never even heard a Slayer record, if someone goes Slayer, they know what that means. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like it's just crazy that that band to me has that little thing it's like that's crazy like whatever i'm a kiss fan everyone knows their makeup and it's like that's so like that's such an easy like they are the ones that like manufactured that slayer didn't go out and say hey you guys think of us or do this they were just like we're fucking throwing our shit up on the block and you're either gonna like it or you're not everybody fucking you know not everybody but a lot of fucking people liked it and when it comes back in that way it's just like that to me seems like why they're such cool people and they seem like they have such a respect for their audience because they allowed the respect to be like hey you guys turned us into something you know and that's why they they fucking gave everything they had on this piece of you know vinyl and it's just like that's why it won't ever go away crazy but as far as rating i have to knock it down to an eight only because i don't own it and i don't really i mean i've seen it a couple times i didn't really like i don't have to buy this because it's kind of like a given you know let me buy something else kind of deal um you've always had it not that we borrow we trade records or anything and then so that's one point that I knocked it down. Another point I knocked it down is because when I looked at the song, the track listing, like I really only know three songs. I only know Criminally Insane, Course Angel of Death, and Raining Blood. I'm sure if I listen to it, like if I go home and I listen to it, I'll probably remember all of it, but it's not like something that I think of, you know, where, I don't know. Maybe, and maybe, saves. maybe by, <laughs> you know, that isn't, uh-uh. And maybe by default, it's because Metallica at that time had a bigger impression on me mm. because it was like... I was just, <clears throat> was just going to ask you that. I was going to say, does your age have anything to do with it? But they came out at the same, the same year. But I'm saying that was 86, but, too, right? Yeah. But Master of Puppets. And but, I think because I loved age. like Iron Maiden because right. of that, like almost, it's almost like classical music, you know? Yeah. And this definitely had that power and that freneticism it could have also been another thing because i'm a drummer I'm never gonna be able to play like that you know why even try um so i don't know it's, there's a lot of different reasons but i think the main one is just that it's like how can i give something like a 10 if i don't own it uh, okay. it's kind of a weird you know thing but I, I think I definitely have like a deeper respect for it now after hearing what you guys have to say about it and understanding why it's like, it's not like, oh, this is a midlife crisis record or, you know what I mean? It's just like, no, fucking, it still does what it did to me. Like that's, that can't be said about everything in any of our collections, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Um, so one thing I, I just remembered. So we were talking about best records and, you know, riding our bikes there and stuff. So my very first exposure to Slayer was, I think I was sixth grade. Uh, what, what year was we in sixth grade? 81 or 80. 82? 80? 82. 82? Yeah. So we would go up and get... Um, you know, our records and stuff. And they always had all the flyers out everywhere yeah. on the floor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they had flyers of this band called Slayer with a, and it's black and white, obviously, but a girl all bloody that they're <laughs> seeing over her. And it's, and it was, that was their thing back then, remember? The bloody girl. And it was in store at Best Records, Slayer. I don't think they played, but they were going to be in Signing store at Best Records. Dude. Yeah. And I remember I was like, dude, that's like crazy looking shit. And I didn't know of them yet, mm. but I knew I was intrigued. I didn't go to it. I wish I would have. I wish I still had one of those flyers too. But my brother actually bought their Show No Mercy, mm. right? To the behest of my mom. Um, <laughs> but, and that was like, wow, game changer, right? Yeah. Crazy. I, and I think that, I think your brother is my first introduction to them. I think it was Scott who I listened to. I think we listened to his records. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, I, I remember, I think we talked, I think it was like last year at one of your barbecues, I was like laughing about this because I remember always being impressed by his record collection. Like everything he had was just like always like blow my mind. And then I remember picking up Steal Your Face, um, Grateful Dead. And like, you know, it's the skeleton <laughs> with the it's lightning bolt. Metal. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what's this? And I remember we put it on. <laughs> I'm like, like Dude, it's the fuck is this country shit? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I was like, ew. That and I comes with acid. That's one of the only times I didn't play a whole record. And yeah. I was like, what is this? And I was like, how does he like the great? How did he? I don't know. Him and Chris Locum got all into it. I think it yeah. was the pot smoking aspect. <laughs> Probably. Know? Yeah. And I was like, how and, the? You know, it was like Pink Floyd and. Dude, when I, when I used to walk home from Gar and I remember the first time I saw someone wearing, uh, it was uh, the wall. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that image. Oh, yeah. It was Pink Floyd. And it was one of those baseball tees. And someone else was wearing like a Judas Priest shirt. So I see these two dudes and mustaches, long feathered hair, you know, jeans. And I'm like, I don't know that band. They must be fucking heavy. Like, you know, and then I remember listening to probably Dark Side of the Moon and was like, what the, f what is this? Yeah. Like, this is not, you know, when, like I mentioned it before. It was like, it was like going from Minor Threat to Fugazi. It's like, what? when I was at, um, yeah, I, when he first bought Fugazi, he was like, yeah, check this out. This is like Ian McKay's new band. And we listened to it. We were like, really? Yeah. Like there it was did. like a couple songs where he did that, the, you know, the classic Ian McKay. Yell, yeah. Like on my threat. We're like, that sounds cool. But the rest of it, I just don't get just it. Slow. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it took a while. Then it was like, okay, this is like so ahead of its time. And I remember being at, I remember being at Whitney hearing Dark Side of the Moon. I had never heard Pink Floyd before. I, I, I had heard another brick in the wall. Probably, yeah, on the radio. But I had never yeah, knew. Never that. But I didn't know that it was Pink Floyd. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't associate I didn't the name of the band. I just knew another brick in the wall. You know the the classic. The teacher don't yeah, leave those kids hit. alone. Whatever. And I was at school, and because Dennis and I both went to Whitney, and we were all into uh, Motley Crue had just come out. Too Fast for Love album had just come out, and we were like just non-stop listening to that tape you know like i think i had the tape of it and we we're listening this one older guy was like what are you guys listening to and we we're like motley crew and he was like motley crew like he had never heard of motley crew 
And we were like, what are you listening to? And it was us and them. The, it's on Dark Shadow Moon. Right, right. And he was like, check this out. And we were like listening to this like faster glamour, you know, like not glam rock. What do you call it? Edge. Hair dude. metal. Yeah. But the first. It's heavy metal. But the two, yeah. Too Fast for Love had like a fast, mm-hmm. you know, pace to him. And we were like, what the fuck is like, put, turn that shit off. Like, I don't want to listen to that. You know, until I was till until weed. Found yeah, its just way to probably, my heart. Until you was probably doing whippets. Mind, right? like, <laughs> until weed found its way into my heart, I was like not into that. I wanted to hear all the fast shit. You know, later, then I was a huge, you know, Floyd fan. And actually, funny is I actually ended up way, way later, probably like when I was like almost 30, I started getting into the Grateful Dead, which is funny because I always laugh at that. That time I put, took out Scott's record and was like, "This is some bullshit." Yeah, well, the, the, the sentiment you had when you first heard it is a sentiment I've always had. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just I've tried and I just can't. Grateful Dead. Yeah. I oh yeah, I, like I it it because I still I could still listen to like classic country because you know my grandfather he was all into like the classic country stuff like that, and then there was a lot of this like I can't remember who. Kind of like Wilco. What was the band that Wilco was before? Mm, Uncle Tupelo? Yeah. So, like, band, I started to get into stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this is just like Grateful Dead stuff. And I so I really got into two records. I got into American Beauty and Working Man's Dead. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the most accessible when it comes to people who aren't really into their, you know, 30 minute renditions of stuff like the jammy. Because right. I'm not really a jam band fan, you know, like I do like prog rock and I do like, like I like Rush and I like old um, Genesis and then even like the Kraut rock stuff, you know, like the, and even like Frank Zappa, but Frank Zappa has like that weird, you know, like funniness, like comedy, even though he's a great musician, was a great musician, um, almost like a Devo kind of like aspect to it where it's like he's saying about weird shit and silly shit it's like, avant-garde yeah like, yeah and it's like right. grateful dead's kind of in between all that because they're they have a real country style of writing songs but a lot of the music's great like i really really dig those two records and i still listen to more i listen to you know more than just those two but those are the two that really like got me into them and i'll still never forget that day though because steal your face looks like it would be a metal yeah sounding thing and it's like what the fuck i remember looking through (laughs) scott's records and the ones that stood out was group sex by uh circle jerks was just like this has to be and it is it's one of the best punk rock records for me ever Mm -hmm. that's a record that to me too like every time i hear it just like Uh, does the same thing same here always and just the cover even though it's not really like what makes it punk is just I don't know the haircuts. The I remember always that PIL shirt. I'm like, who's PIL? Like, what's that? You know, this is cool. I love learning about culture that way. And in the little, you know, like with Seven Seconds Records, like there was like tour photos of them, and they're wearing like T-shirts of different like verbal assault or verbal abuse. And it's like that's I got I got to check out that band. You know, it's almost like like you're connected to them more deeply than just, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and also 2112 by Rush. And just looking at that, I was like, this has to be, and it, it's epic, you know, like it, it is what it looked like. <laughs> That's weird. It's hard to oh, do. Oh, that was, that was one of Scott's records that you found? Uh-huh. Was 2112? Yeah. Hmm. 
Those are just the ones that stuck out, that stood out to me. I remember, so it's I remember his he, birthday coming up soon, and we could thank him for ruining yeah, our you lives. Go? You should go. Yeah, yeah. I In remember he, weeks, didn't, right? yeah. he didn't appreciate us looking through it. He was the gateway. <laughs> well, yeah, it was that little kid's like, get the fuck away from my shit. Well, he always, he always had stuff that, you know, that I, you know, I have to admit, some of the punk stuff that he was into, like, it annoyed me, right, when I first mm. heard it. Because I was kind of, I was, you know, in a phase where I was listening to more metal heavy stuff. Mm. And then so, you know, like early Slayer versus, I don't know, Exploit It. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm Crass. like, dude, stop. You know, <laughs> like Chris Locum used to call it the raw, 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 like every song does that, right? Exploit mm. It. But then later, you know, you get listen to it more and you can appreciate it if you're in the right frame of mind. Or even mm-hmm. like, I have to admit, like Social Distortion. Like when he first had Social Distortion, I was like, you know, that first album with Mommy's Little Monster and I was like, that awesome. Yeah, it's like one of the best albums, you know, punk rock albums ever. But at first I was like, yeah. And this is early, you know, early mm-hmm. 80s when. It probably had just come out. It's like. I think it had, yeah. Yeah, I, have, I still have that record too. I have that one. I was never really into them back in the day though. It took me a long time to get into them mm-hmm. because like they're big stuff. They're, the, I don't know the name of the record, like Ball and Chain. Yeah. Like that's when they were like big and like the. That was I, like 1990-ish, I think. Yeah. Right and I, early. And I think their crowd annoyed me more than they did. Uh, so I kind of just was like. The, the Like the rockabilly kind yeah. of 50s. Well, that's a, but it's it wasn't, like two different bands. But I mean, it was when like the. Another state of mind. It's like that's yeah. when they're a punk band. It was like right. that Huntington Beach guy that wasn't really rockabilly, but it was like Social Distortion was like their band. You know what I mean? It was like there was just something weird and annoying about that crowd. Like I went to go see something they were playing and I didn't even watch them, but it was like the crowd just sucked. And it wasn't like a punk rock crowd. It wasn't even like a metal crowd. It was just weird. It was like a bunch of weird. It's regular people. That's why. But like there's a weird, there was like a weird feeling there that I was just like, I am feeling this. And I was just like, I left. And I was like, I don't even care about to see this band. And then when I went back and got into like the first record and listened to it and I was like, oh, this is fucking good shit. Like, how come I never, you know, because I only associated him with that one record that had like Ball and Chain and whatever that, uh, whatever that album was, yeah, you know, and I was just like not feeling that their crowd ruined it for me. <laughs> like their, their fans ruined it for me. And now I like them, you know, I'll, I'll go back and listen to a lot of their stuff, but see like even even some of their stuff has that country mm-hmm. twinge to it that's you know like they do a ring of fire cover right you know and they do a lot of stuff that has like the structures that are that's what ruined them what was that that's the one that like kind that's of started the, same the whole thing that's the same but i mean album. that yeah. song was the one that everyone knew uh, oh, because I they see. knew the johnny cash version or gotcha. if they didn't that was like the gateway yeah and it's almost like the people that like that really didn't have, or just like surface taste of music. And then there you go. There's your audience. So yeah, it's like, yeah, you can't relate to them because like, what are you going to talk about? Like, you don't even know anything about music. You don't really like music, but you feel like, oh, this will be fun to do. Just like it was fun to go to fucking TGI Fridays for you fucking two weeks ago. You know, like, <laughs> really? That's fucking fun. <laughs> like you're fucking wearing your fucking Sunday's best on a Friday night to go to TGI Fridays. TGI, baby. Um, get some celery sticks and um, a couple beers. And and there's only a few bands that 
I feel never changed and Slayer is a band that's never changed. Yeah. Like I'll give them that. I definitely give they, them that. They yeah, they did true. They progressed and obviously their abilities got way better. But ever since this record came out, even though Hell Awaits and Show No Mercy and Haunting the Chapel and Live Undead, you can tell that they were leading up to this point. Because even if you go backwards, the, it's still the same structure. It's still the same mm-hmm. core of what they are. And they've never diverted. They've always been this band. They've never yeah, yeah. stayed. They no Metallica their, bullshit. Yeah, they didn't no. cut their hair. They didn't change their image. Like, <laughs> they've hang out Lou Reed all of a sudden. They've like, ne- Let's write ballads. They've never done like, they've never marked themselves like a Metallica black record. Like that marked them Mm -hmm. for the worst, you know? And like, these guys have never done that. Even if I don't listen to their new records or the later ones, like I can still put it on and be like, they're still doing the same thing. They just want to party with the fucking devil. That's what they just (laughs) started. We're like, let's fucking (laughs) hang out. And they're just like, devil's like, you guys, I'm still cool with Slayer. Like, it's insane. Man, I went to church this week. It was an hour church. of hell. Yeah, we had why? a mass for my Nina. Oh, that's her. Why. It's twenty. It was twenty years like memorial. Yeah, Matt. Like a. It was just a regular mass though. And I'm yeah. sitting in church, and I'm like, I haven't been in church in fucking years. And I'm just sitting in there, and I'm like thinking about like I'm gonna talk about Slayer this week, and this is fucking rad. I'm in this fucking place, <laughs> and I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like it was so and in. I bet one of these dudes went to Catholic school too, probably. I don't know if they ever did. They probably did. Probably Lombardo because he's Cuban, right? I'm does that have to do with anything? Well, because the culture, like most of the Latin cultures are Catholic. Mm. I'm I'm well, I think well, Tom Mariah. Tom Mariah is Mexican too, or yeah. no, he's South American of some some sort. Um but like I remember I remember people like, especially people in my family, my parents didn't really give a fuck what I did. I mean, they did, but they didn't care like what I listened to and stuff like that. Clearly. But I remember, <laughs> <laughs> but I remember like my aunts and stuff would come in and like, they would see like the posters I would have. I had this like Aussie mirror that I won at Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> there was like, like, Oh, mijo, you're going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like this like grim reaper dude with like the mentors, like, like yeah. hood on with Ozzy's head dripping with blood. Like he was holding <laughs> Ozzy's head out and he's like, it's like, he's got the big, like, uh, the, I don't know what the name the of sickle that. Or sickle or the axe or whatever. It's like an axe, but it's like, like armored saint one, you know? Yeah. And, and then I would have like, you know, Slayer flyers and like punk flyers and just, you know, just, it was just like menacing in there, you know? And I remember my aunt was like, I'm going to pray for you. And my dad's like, don't fucking worry about him. Go worry about your own son that's in jail right now. You know what I mean? It's like, like, fuck you. But I was in church and I remember like as a little kid and you look at the, the imagery inside of a Catholic church, that's just more scary than a fucking Slayer record. Really? Like, you know, like seriously, every like the statues and the paintings and all this stuff. I'm like, this fucking place is scarier than what I'm listening to. And the imagery that I'm that, that's conjuring up in these songs, you know what I mean? Preach. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm like? Exactly. Dude, and you I'm know like, what's even scarier than that is the priest that wants to touch all the little boys. Yeah. <laughs> and they say Slayer's bad? Slayer's bad. Yeah, exactly. But these men in dresses on this on this stage <laughs> who are, aren't allowed to have sex. That are fucking little yeah. boys is that <laughs> is the good thing to go to. Yeah. So yeah, fuck you, anybody who's ever trying to t- talk shit about me listening to Slayer. Um, anyway, so we're going to wrap this up and then, uh, 
we'll do the next one. Yeah? Unless yeah. anybody else has anything to add? I think out of the big four, they, they're like the top. Yeah? Even though Metallica, I mean, you said they're playing at the Forum? Slayer? Yeah. Yeah. And like Metallica play at the Rose Bowl. Obviously a big difference. But still, like because they Slayer didn't change, it's still, you know, Metallica doesn't, like your mom knows Metallica. And your mom probably even is like, yeah, Metallica. But like your mom might know Slayer, but it's like she probably still feels the same way. Like when your brother tried to bring that record home, it's like, get that shit out of my house. I think <laughs> like that's fucking awesome. And I think the I think a person who a casual fan who would actually go to a Metallica show wouldn't feel intimidated. And that same casual fan would be intimidated at a Slayer show. Oh, of course. Even now, even I'll just watch it at home. On, I'll stream it. Yeah, like even it. even 2019. Like I just went to their show three years ago, and it was still fucking ridiculous. Like the pits, like people were getting punched in the face still. Yeah, and I'm like, like who's fucking what? just to draw what a bunch you, of animals? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you? What do you? What do you not have to do tomorrow that you can just get punched in the face or go punch people in the face and spend a night in jail for no fucking reason? Like it's 2019. Like, Slayer fans are animals. Well, I, did I tell you that our we don't actually have seats? Oh God! It's <laughs> general admission in the front. Really? Oh, what? Yeah. So I have to start punching people. So start getting ready. Start training. <laughs> you better wear body armor. Just tape a fucking phone book. Jail, like. jail style. <laughs> fucking phone books inside of my fucking waist. Wear a helmet. Yeah. 